You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take a look at the Jason Bourne franchise and find out its surprising influence on Hollywood. It's 2002's The Bourne Identity. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Bondzilla podcast. I am Nick. I'm well. And uh, yes. Oh, oh. There we go. All right. Good? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, we're going to be having a great time here to do another wonderful, wonderful podcast for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, another episode down the tubes. Mm hmm. Well, not yet. Yeah, we haven't done it yet. <laughs> it, could, it, could, it could go. It could go very wrong. This could be yeah. the. This could be the like the lost episode. Well, it's not. It's not down the tubes yet. Is what I'm saying. Like, right. No, it hasn't been. I, I spoke too soon. I yeah. said. I. I, I said. Tube the, soon. Oh. <laughs> uh yeah. So, um, how are you, Will? How are you feeling? Good. I'm just kind of ready to hop into this one. Okay. Yeah. All right. No. No news or anything. Mm, no. Why, why is, it, is this a leading question? No, I don't know. We uh, well, I will say, I will say this. Um, we kind of uh, this was brought to our attention strangely by uh, one of our fans. Is that, um, and we kind of skipped through this without too much fanfare. But uh, with the completion of the anime uh, trilogy of Godzilla movies. We've officially completed the the Godzilla canon, yeah, yes. like one hundred percent, which the, it, the movies with the official movies with Godzilla, in right? It. Yeah, because as we learned at uh, Comic Con last year, that uh, at least Toho considers those three movies to be part of like the new era of of Godzilla films, yeah, uh, which was also something uh, that we um, didn't uh, re mention uh, because I know we had mentioned that quite a while ago but th- that is an important detail about those movies um because um at, at the time of their release it, it was kind of like almost seen as like is this just kind of one of the their little like um it's just, just kind of like a side project thing like do is toho really going to consider this in like the same uh vein as like oh all the show because for the most part um toho hasn't like forgotten any like Godzilla, right? Like there's, entry. there's no Rick. Like oh, we pushed this to the side, right. Type of thing, you right. know. It's like, it kind of is very much, um, you know, similar to the Bond canon, where, you know, there really is no stepped overturned. There is no movie kind of pushed away from like the official Eon canon. Like, right. Obviously, Eon's not going to talk about the '67 Casino Royale or Never Say Never Again, but it's not as if like, you know, stuff like you know. Honor Magic Secret Service or like Man with the Golden Gun or Octopus here is like pushed to the side. It's always kind of brought up in the same, you know, all the films are kind of almost treated equally uh, just with even within their own bonds. Well, well, an example I would think it's not like the Clone Wars animated movie with Star Wars. Yeah. Where it's like that was a movie that technically got released in theaters, but nobody really considers it to be one of the movies. Right. Uh, uh, So there was some time where you could have 
you would be forgiven to think that was kind of like how these uh, the the anime trilogy was being treated, but. Uh, Toho showed us that no, they considered it uh, th- those three films and Shin Godzilla to be their modern, or at least the first uh, four entries in the uh, modern Godzilla Reiwa era. Um, so yeah, so we kind of went through that without much fanfare. It was like that um, uh, completed uh, the 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 entire canon, which in some ways says something a little bit about the status of the anime trilogy that our Shin episode was more of a retrospective like celebration of like, Oh, we're, we're done. Yeah. But now, now we're actually well, done. I think that's also why we, that we, we did get that question a lot. Like, why we, well, haven't we done the anime trilogy? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was like partially because we wanted to kind of take a break and explore other stuff. And I think it was partially because we didn't necessarily know the best way to, to reveal yeah, I it mean, too. And, and honestly, it's because I, I probably, admittedly, had some of that own bias uh, mm-hmm. of myself that didn't it considered it a little bit more of a side project thing, uh, and because even the whole presentation of how Shin came out was completely different than the anime trilogy, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which was uh, which was short sighted um, on my part. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, dude, I mean, we, we'll have to keep it to a minimum on this episode. Excuse me, but. Uh, I mean, do we have anything to say about like now that we've officially, officially completed the Godzilla uh, canon? It's one of those things where I think it's very interesting, though, with the Godzilla side, because while we have officially completed the, you know, Godzilla canon, I feel like almost on that side, there is still so much more to explore. Mm-hmm. Like, I think like there is still some stuff, you know, from the Showa era we can get into. And obviously we have like, even though it's not, you know, directly related. Again, we. I mean, as much as I joke about it, I am really interested in kind of delving deeper into the Kong mm-hmm. canon of films. And I, I just feel like, because I think what's weird about the Godzilla stuff is because it is very much like, yes, we have completed all the Godzilla films, but I also feel like it isn't, I think it was important steps for us to take to watch like stuff like Mothra and Rodan because they are almost as much as part of that Godzilla sure, canon sure, sure. as the anime trilogy is. I mean, because it's very much like, you know, it's not like for Bond, we don't have like, oh, we had Felix Leiter appear first in this movie, and then, right, right. And then in Dr. No, he kind of comes in. Well, it, it, it's like, I think it's very much like, I think like the world of Godzilla, it's like, it doesn't feel like the end, because I feel like there's still more for us to explore within the world of Godzilla, more so than what we do with these Bond episodes, with where I think like we very much like, you know, not, we haven't completely run dry the actual Bond world yet Mm -hmm. but it very much is a little bit different in the sense of like we are really going on all these really different paths that kind of connect back to bond i i think it's really telling for me that i felt more of a all right we've come full circle more so with our rodan episode Mm -hmm. than i did with the anime movies because you're right it kind of seemed like because that just seemed like the real i guess because those were like the formative years of the of Toho's kaiju filmmaking and uh, those were all the other missing elements in the Godzilla franchise that those felt like um, little things. And I guess for me, what I will say is that the anime trilogy feels so modern. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It just feels like that's the um, Godzilla films that we're living through uh, now. Like, the fact... and. 
also the fact that it was like a Netflix release and it's like one of the more uh, it's Toho finally really branching out that it feels like that's where that's a yeah modern what we're living through. Whereas Shin kind of felt like all right w- that feels like the end of like the Godzilla retrospective. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing really retrospective in nature about the anime trilogy. If yeah, that makes exactly. Sense. It's it, it it kind of would be like if. You know, there was like I feel like I would feel like the same way if we that that animated Bond project that we like talked about. It's like just like if it was some weird like here's a really weird Bond canon right, like, right. thing. It just it feels like when you get to you know I I feel like you're very correct on that. I feel like you know it very much is like we needed to do we need Shin Godzilla need to be the, and I also feel like that also worked well because it was like at the end of the year right year. right right and so it just kind of was like it just kind of felt all put together yeah and, it, and it's one of the reasons why even King of the Monsters itself was this kind of own like side special like episode because it was so recent and, and in fact that would probably be uh like not that I you know I think our thoughts and opinions have kind of been hashed out over the course of many episodes but that was a unique case because if there was any episode that would need a redo in terms of okay now we've sat through it as part of the canon for like a year yeah like and especially like you know doing the watch alongs and just sitting with it um then you could kind of like put it back into like the whole Godzilla retrospective thing. Yeah. But the, but that, that's the biggest thing I would say. The anime trilogy is probably the first truly modern um, in in terms of that. I, I think that could be a whole conversation of itself where it's like, what does that anime trilogy say about, you know, the franchise now? Yeah. And like what we what we can expect, mm-hmm. because we also it's been quite some time since we've talked about the nature of the industry um, itself, um, which uh, much like the Yoda says about the future, it's ever changing yeah. uh, as, as it is. As yes, it is. It now. is. Yes, it is. Um, you know, um, we could be getting a uh, we, we could be getting a, um, a, d- a different cut of this on HBO Max. Like, who knows? <laughs> I was like, "Are you serious for a moment?" And I'm like, "Oh no!" Yeah, here. could well, be getting a Doherty cut on Showtime. I you were talking about the Prime. anime trilogy. It could, it maybe the anime trilogy. Maybe we'll get a Edwards edit, a Vote Roberts version <laughs> of Kong Skull Island, and we'll get that on Cinemax Prime and Showtime Primetime. These are all these are all um, streaming services. It's a joke about yeah, different no, cuts I, on streaming services. I, I got you. I'm just because of the Snyder cut. <laughs> <laughs> we will never escape. We will never escape. You and I will never escape Justice League. It's always no. going to come back in no. some form or fashion. No, not 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 at all. You know what's crazy is that movie is just fine. <laughs> I like. But you won't know until you see the Snyder Cut in which everybody will be like, oh, it's still just fine. Don't are you, You're going to tell me you're not curious about the Snyder Cut. I mean, I'm a little bit, but dude, I'm also like, I'm dude, just, people. Dude, did you see that CGI dark side? <sighs> yeah. I'm just, it's just like, I'm just. I mean, granted, I mean, it, it, it does mean that I'll get less of Steppenwolf, one of the best <laughs> villains in comic book history. He was in all the comics. Listen, I 
I should give it the chance. Like I really you, should. You, but you, but there 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 really like there are only a few pathways into which people are like, oh, this is like great. Like I I can't. Oh no 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 no. I'm not. I, I'm under no delusions that that's the case. It's just more that. But if, if the changes weren't the changes that they have kind of shown, I wouldn't be in it. Like if it was just like, oh, we're like putting back some deleted scenes, I wouldn't care. But like this is becoming like, wait a minute, that shot is the same shot from the movie, but you're changing. Like now it's dark side now. Like that means like there's elements of this movie that like it, it just. Like, are we going to get that, like, are they going to just insert that whole, like, Martian Manhunter thing that was talked no, about No, that's what I mean. It, it, it's like, they're, they're, like, it's going to be a completely different movie, but I'm also just like, people are still so hyped about it, and I'm just like, I can't imagine it being, like, but here's the, the best movie ever. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just curious because it's just, it's just so, just from, like, a, like, this is going to sound so pretentious, but from, like, a historian aspect of it, like, you know, yeah. like, it's one of those, like, like the Snyder cut is like the the aliens in Independence Day, right? And I'm one of the idiots on the top of the building, like because <laughs> it's like I gotta see this, you know? Yeah. Or I just like so, some some equivalent to that, right? I just no. have to see it. Yeah, no, I know. So yeah. you, see, they've got your money, Will. They have my free trial. At the most. Oh, you don't think they're gonna? You know they are. Yeah, they're going. <laughs> Disney Plus just got rid of their free trial because Hamilton's about a week away. There's no way that they're not gonna stop the free trial for the Snyder cut. Isn't that kind of funny? About we should really. Th- this is actually interesting, though. Um, as much as we're joking about this, because it does actually. Um, the this seriously did. Uh, hop off of my original comment about you know Netflix releasing the anime trilogy and everything, and I I think a conversation of streaming services because it does pertain to you know Godzilla in this way I, I think that that that's actually a conversation that we should have yeah uh, like I would say soon because I, I I think I mean I was like for a while I mean I will just not not to not get too deep into it now but don't forget there was a distinct rumor. Uh, and there still kind of is about, um, you know, uh, Apple and or Amazon trying to get involved with MGM and Bond. Right. I mean, that was a while for, for a while bef- when the distribution rights went up after um, Spectre, mm. that there was like discussions of like Apple and Amazon putting their money in and maybe doing some sort of like, well put these in theaters obviously because he you know, wants them in theaters but right. then maybe using them for apple streaming service or Am- you know, amazon prime obviously mm-hmm. now we know that the uh, at least no time to die is going to be through universal uh worldwide but there that that was a discussion that and that still is kind of a permeating it was like do are is Eon going to find a way to get involved in the mm. streaming service like that could yeah. that could be the way that they you know like how we talked about a couple months ago how um you know there was that kind of pitch around for the Money Penny series that Eon kind of rejected, mm. or a Money Penny movie. Maybe a Money Penny series on Amazon Prime or something would be more the direction they want to go with that. Yeah, especially once they get into. Obviously, we've been kind of delayed on getting a new Bond, but like once they do the new Bond, where they're in a world of possi- endless possibilities. Agreed. Um, but yeah, still no real Bond news. I did see a tweet that you can buy uh, an official James Bond motorcycle. 
Oh. Which just, again, goes into, like, how Bond merch and, like, the merch that they have for Bond seems to be very much on a higher end of things. But um, the only way you can get it is by flipping a guy off of it, like in uh, Quantum of Solace. It was funny because the tweet just was just a video of just all the motorcycles in Bond history. Of course. And it, like, including the one in No Time to Die, like in the trailer when he, like, rides up the wall. Um, well, you did mention Amazon Prime. So, you know what you can watch on Amazon Prime? Uh, our movie today. Well, you have to rent it. It's not, like, included with Prime. Well, But you can watch it on Prime. You can watch it through Amazon Prime, yes. 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 That's what I said. Yeah. So, but like, there's a difference between like in, like watching it on Amazon Prime, which is like the stuff that's included. No, I can, you can still watch it. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, I, I would just imply it's like, oh, it's on Amazon Prime. Yes, but like, there's see, a- this is the problem with again. This is one of the issues I bring up in the streaming thing because I I know what you're talking about because if I said it was on Amazon Prime, like for some reason the default is oh it's for free on Amazon Prime, right? Because it's well, part- but like, what about you? probably cool dude <laughs> that makes you think you're so special that you just get things for free no you gotta pay for the movie we're gonna talk about today I mean, just... you gotta pay for it and guess what you get our commentary for free yes and that movie is the born identity yes from 2002 yes all right are you ready to get started yes all right, so uh, like previous entries in our uh, Bondzilla canon, um, we're going to go back and start by looking at some books, looking at an author. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just like with Ian Fleming and um, James Bond and with um, the Jack Ryan series and uh, Tom Clancy, uh, the Bourne series is based off some books so just to go back to that one but spoiler alert the the books really don't have much to do with the movie but it is right. important to kind of get into the history of uh the jason Bourne franchise so uh we go back to a man named robert ludlam um who uh was uh, born in the 1920s grew up in new york city um just well educated just generally, like, nice white dude from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, uh, in his uh, late teens, early 20s, he was in the United States Marines, spent a little time uh, in the Marine Corps uh, before moving back to New York to become, uh, to try a career as a theater actor and then a theater producer. Um, so he, he went around that for a little bit, but never, you know, it was one of those things like he would audition, never really got anything, you know, would understudy a couple times, but nothing really, you know, nothing really to say like, oh, I have a career in, in mm-hmm. theatrical acting. I have a career on Broadway. Uh, so instead he decides to transition, um, into novels, into writing because he, he just has, has a creative mind and he, he, I will say that Ludlum wasn't necessarily like a recluse type of person, but he also wasn't someone who was like really out there like giving interviews. He wasn't somebody like, you know, like Fleming, is this in direct comparison to Fleming and Clancy, who really tried to kind of build their brand and their legacy through their books. Because like Fleming obviously was like very eager for the, the, the fame and eager to make the movies and eager to make the deals. And Clancy kind of parlayed 
just a whim novel into you know a full-fledged bland where he's making video games and movies and all that sort of stuff ludlum was very much someone who was like i'm gonna write the books i'm gonna sell them and that's just my life Mm. um but he he in a couple interviews i was able to kind of see with him he wanted he did credit his theatrical experience as like just him as a storyteller because he said that you know like seeing a play and keeping the audience like in suspense of what's going to happen in the play it's very much like writing a suspenseful novel. You just have to find ways to continue to, uh, you know, keep your audience on edge and keep your audience invested through, you know, whatever you're writing about. And his passion in writing seemed to be um, sort of conspiracy-laden novels mm-hmm. uh, where usually his his kind of brand, like his, the Ludlum book would be, one man against some sort of mysterious organization who was either trying to, you know, keep the status quo or, you know, or, uh, you know, destroy the status quo. But it was always like the one man against the big conspiracy, uh, you know, kind of twists and, and you never knew what was around the next corner, um, which a lot of his books and, and his actual, his true like brand was that his books were always in the same title, like um, style. So it always would be the and then two words. It would like just like the born identity, the born supremacy. Mm. Uh, there was, um, you know, he would have stuff like the Osterman Weekend, the Hallcroft Covenant, the Apocalypse Watch. Like all his novels were very much in that same kind of title wheelhouse. I think he only has one that doesn't follow that. So he starts writing novels in the 1970s. And... Uh, and he he has a lot of just kind of success. He's very much again writing these kind of thrillers, very much like similarly to what was happening in like cinema in the seventies. Stuff like uh, you know the Parallax View and and Three Days of the Condor, just the kind of big you know and and stuff that would be leading up into eventually the real life like scandal like Watergate and stuff like that. Just kind of the he kind of captured that kind of seventies paranoia uh, into an, a book form and became a very successful author. Um, so through the seventies, he kept writing these books until we get into 1980 where he, uh, releases the Bourne identity. So, um, the character of Jason Bourne and the concept of the, the base concept of the novel of a man who like forgets who he is and has to find out, you know, kind of more about his own identity, uh, came from a personal experience of his, uh, that he uh, he said in an interview uh, with CBS, one of his few interviews in 1986, um, that he uh, he said after writing his first novel, he had like spent so much time and so much energy that he had just almost somehow forgotten like the past 12 hours of his life. Mm-hmm. Like he just couldn't. He had no recollection of anything that happened in the past like half day for him. So it was that with kind of again the kind of conspiracy laden nature of what he was interested in that kind of born out the Jason mm-hmm. Bourne character. Um, now the name Jason Bourne, uh, he never really said what truly inspired the name. It might've just been a name he came up with. Um, but the likely, uh, uh, the, excuse me, the likely uh, inspiration for it came from a real life incident of a man in the 1800s which is uh known as kind of the first disassociative figure case in history where a man named who had the last name of Bourne mm. uh allegedly 
just forgot who he was one day, moved from New York to Philadelphia and opened up a convenience store, uh, now naming himself Brown. And then three uh, months later, woke up and completely forgot his life as Brown and remembered his life as Born. So this was kind of a major like real life version of it. And, you know, obviously the idea of like disassociative figure and, and disassociative amnesia is very still very controversial in the medical community. Um, but he uh, but that case still kind of stuck with uh, Ludlam and he kind of kept with it. Um, so that first Jason Bourne novel is very about a man mm-hmm. um, who wakes up in the sea or wakes up recovered from the sea. Can't remembering who he is. Um, eventually figures out that he's being chased by both a well, very well-known terrorist and a mysterious organization. Mm-hmm. And so sort of him kind of going through, trying to figure out, eventually it's revealed that he was an assassin who was hired to kill the terrorist. He's also being hunted by his agency in the United States because they believe he has committed treason because he has a report back and took all the money from his bank account and stuff like that. Um, along the way, he gets paired up with a Canadian woman named Marie, who initially tries to turn him in. But when the terrorists try to sexually assault her, Bourne saves her, and mm. then that's they're they're off to the races together. So basically, you can kind of see, you know, uh, what similarities lie in our movie. Right, ahead right. And, the the movie definitely takes the outline of that book. And... Uh, yes, l- sometimes literally and figuratively mm. call out. Um, so the Jason Bourne um, uh, series is um, the, the Jason Bourne, the first book in 1980, The Bourne Identity, is very successful. And this is, like, again, this is Ludlum in, the, like, the middle of his career. He's been writing all through the 70s, so, you know, he's had, like, 10 books ahead of him already. So Bourne is very much, like, kind of at the height of his writing power and is genuinely becomes his best-selling and most notable book uh, to the point where it is um, his first series of books. So he... Uh, enjoys writing the Jason Bourne character, so he initially writes two other books. Uh, he writes The Bourne Supremacy, that releases in 1986, and then finally The Bourne Ultimatum, which releases in 1990, which mm-hmm. is known as the Bourne Trilogy. So obviously with that first Bourne book being successful in 1980s, um, there was some initial interest in possibly turning it into a movie. Uh, 1983 Universal uh, optioned the rights to the book, and then tried to have it uh, made, starring Burt Reynolds. Uh, but the movie just went nowhere. And after that, just sort of the general interest in adapting the book kind of died down. It just, you know, that was in like 1983, three years after the original book. Even though the two other Bourne books were also very successful, it just seemed like Hollywood had kind of moved on from the idea. Uh, there was a 1988 television movie starring Richard Chamberlain um, that would very closely adapted the book, but otherwise there really wasn't much interest in adapting um, the Ludlow novel. And then after that 1990 Born Ultimatum book, which kind of ends the trilogy, uh, uh, Ludlow moves on to other figures, other characters, other series that he kind of has. Uh, lined up for himself and mm. it continues just to be kind of a very successful author with a very low profile um, very much and again it was also kind of like not necessarily that he wasn't open to being open about himself it just seemed like nobody was really interested in delving deeper into the man it was right, kind of right. like the books were very successful but it didn't really have that the major imprint like no presidents were mm-hmm. um were giving like uh the stamp of approval for the born books it just 
was books that sold well. You know, people would read them on their vacations and stuff like that. But he would, you know, um, but he just kind of enjoyed, he just enjoyed life as it was. So with that, we cut to 1997. Um, a director by the name of Doug Lyman mm-hmm. uh, has just finished up his movie Swingers which is getting some very positive buzz mm. and is one of those things where it's like, oh, this is going to afford me an opportunity to kind of do what I want next. Um, that was kind of the feeling that he had, that he was like, okay, he's like the new young director um, with the new young hot film. And okay, so what do I want to do next? And he thought back to a novel that he read while he was in high school that is indeed called The Born identity uh so he just was really taken by the concept of um the man who like who has no memory but the man so he really takes mostly it's like the man who has no memory and his own agency chasing him Mm -hmm. because uh doug lyman um his father arthur lyman was involved with the government uh specifically uh he had a memoir that uh broke down the investigation into the famous Iran-Contra affair, which wasn't necessarily the same exact thing, but had similar things of, like, secret government agencies going into places they didn't need to go into mm. and, and, and kind of – and the fight to kind of, like, you know, do we keep it a secret? Do we leave them to die? Do You know, like all that sort of stuff. Uh, and kind of basically, like, the government making a mess and then – how the government tries to fix that mess type of deal. So he was very interested in that. Specifically, uh, he was very interested in his father's views of Oliver North, the famous political um, figure that was very uh, a big part of the Iran-Contra affair. Mm -hmm. So uh, Lyman uh, decides that he wants to adapt this book and goes – he flies to the house of Ludlam in Montana to discuss the rights. Ludlam is – Again, very much like, sure, you know, like, you know, that sort of thing. So he options the book with Warner Brothers, and it make they make kind of a, a three-way deal to that Lyman will develop the, the book for Warner Brothers uh, starting in 1997. So uh, with kind of the changes to the book that he wants to make, kind of Lyman's really thing is like to modernize it, to kind of bring it into what would eventually become the 2000s, obviously mm-hmm. starting in the late 90s, 2000s. So bring it into a modern light with a modern sort of he said a modern kind of political view even though he was like i don't want to force like this kind of political view i have of like meddling in foreign nations Mm -hmm. type of thing it still wasn't something that he wanted to make a a permanent part of of the film uh, at least in some capacity so they take a while to development eventually through the development process the rights transition from warner brothers into universal um Lyman makes another film in 1999 called Go while he's sort of still developing and, and writing the movie. Eventually he gets um, Tony Gilroy. That's the name, right? Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. Tony Gilroy. I, for some reason I was thinking Troy. I was like, no, it's Tony. <laughs> uh, Tony Gilroy on the scripting process and post Go, um, they are almost, they are basically raring to go. Um, at least Lyman is raring to go. Universal still is not totally convinced on the way the script is going. But that's going to be a discussion that comes into when filming starts happening. But first, they do, now that they have 
kind of a script that's good enough to start casting on, they start to cast. Now, in the book, um, the born character is kind of an older veteran character who loses his memory. So the studio's first instinct is to go with kind of an older action star type, somewhere in the more of the lines of like the Sylvester Stallone and the Schwarzeneggers, kind of playing off of like, oh, they were the big action heroes in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. and now here like they've, they've forgotten who they are type of thing. Mm-hmm. So kind of like that thing. But uh, Lyman kind of sees that they need, they're going to need a younger star to kind of push the film. He, he kind of thinks that like, Oh, like the 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 Schwarzenegger and Stallone, like they're like they're still stars, but they're kind of like we're gonna need a younger star to really push this movie. We're gonna right. need the younger star to really get the the eyes on this movie. So Lyman's first choice for the role is it, it is funny. Sorry, I'm just I I am listening and it's just kind of like slowly coming to me because just those names like a Schwarzenegger, a Stallone, yeah. like it is very much that type of movie like when you really think about it like Mm -hmm. it is funny because you don't think about it because of the final product and the final product is such an early 2000s action movie Mm um also um amplified by the fact that it was a trendsetter for uh like this in the in the uh, the next two films were trendsetters and how a lot of action was done for better and for worse. Um, but all that said, that concept of, all right, a man has no idea who he is. And then it just by taking what happens in the movie, it's like, but he knows, he knows how to fight crime. Like, you know, he, like he knows how to do that. And he's like, Oh, where did I get these abilities from? It's straight in the same vein as movies that um still, especially Schwarzenegger. Like when you get into yeah. like the, the total recalls and j- just movies like that. Right, it, like it, the, yeah. The total, like total recalls in a very similar vein. Now. Right. And like just in the, the basicness of the concept, but even like what he does in like true lies too. Like you sure. can definitely see that transitioning, but, but you can almost see what, that total recall like version. you can almost see what like that early a that that late 80s early 90s version of this movie would have been um if it was like schwarzenegger or something yeah exactly uh but but again lyman is more on a younger uh mindset for mm-hmm. this so his first choice for the role his first offering for the role is brad pitt that's mm-hmm. like his like go-to right uh, but Pitt turns down the role to do uh, another spy type of movie called Spy Game, a more dramatic movie he does with Robert Redford, mm-hmm, okay. uh, in two thousand, which comes out in two thousand and one. So then other names are kind of pitched around. There's kind of you know, obviously like as everything would be in this kind of era, Tom Cruise is just kind of mentioned at one point or another. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, Russell Crowe is also kind of thought mm-hmm. about, but but Lyman decides Nathan Fillion and uh, you know. Yeah, all the they people. go into the future, Nathan Fillion and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like all, all of all, them, right? All the names that you are, are, are pretty much associated with kind of early two thousands. Mm. <laughs> um, but Lyman decides that his next choice is truly Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Damon is this is very much a different type of movie than mm-hmm. than Damon had ever really done. Like right. he, he hadn't really transitioned into the action. Uh, 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 genre yet right you know obviously damon because that early damon i don't want to say is like the most like weird like trajectory but damon's previous work before this is 
often like kind of like an an anomaly that people often overlook right i think well i mean obviously he he had made his name in like 1997 for writing and starring in goodwill hunting right mm-hmm. i think like rounders is very much in this part of his career too just very much like kind of more you know like dramatic stuff right and nothing really of the action genre so. well you know because he you know because they're there he's in that and he has like role you, you know he has a cameo in finding forrester yes which is like i remember even when i watched that for the first time and that's after like i knew like you know this was during the time when you knew matt damon and being born and then when he shows up you're like jesus christ that's jason Bourne. yeah um and then you know like dogma, right, and, like, and, and things like that. So, right. yeah. um, and in fact, like, cause was he was he in comedies bef- before then, or was was he in anything? Because like now, because it was kind of like, or was it one of those things where slowly after Born did he like re-enter into comedies uh, and, and everything? I'm just gonna double check. The, 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 again, his trajectory as a actor which i'm sure we'll talk about um is not the weirdest but it is definitely it 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 has some things you can analyze about it which which i find interesting yeah i mean i guess like because it's also yeah because he kind of goes between like he never really does anything like major major action obviously he does kind of like he does like he's in saving private ryan saving private ryan Mm -hmm. he's he does like kind of the talented mr ripley which is kind of a thriller, but not necessarily right, like right. action. Is there right, still more yeah. drama? Um, but he's kind of going like Legend of Bagravan. So I think he's very much like a drama thing. Um, and obviously, like I think that's kind of what I'm thinking of. You're right. He is more of those like like afternoon drama type right. movies. And also, I will say too that this is like we're in late ninety nine two thousand. So this is also before he's in Ocean's Eleven, which right. I think is really like. Like, you it, know, it, he, where he kind of really... Before this, if there was a flower for Algernon movie, it would probably be him. Yeah. Like, he would be Algernon. Wait, was, wait Algernon was the mouse, right? Yeah. He was just, like, some guy, right? I think... I don't know what you're talking... I just don't know what you're talking about. Flowers for Algernon. Do you not know Flowers for Algernon? I'm, I'm Do my... people not know Flowers for Algernon? The only reason I said this is because I mentioned this to my girlfriend the other day, like very casually. I'm like, oh, it's like flowers for Algernon. She had no idea what I was talking about. So now I'm coming to you. I'm like, well, you must know flowers. Like, has this just been a have Nick, have I been using this reference of flowers for Algernon for the last two years and nobody has called me out on it? Nobody knows what I'm talking about? Uh... Flowers for Algernon. It's like they the the they they're giving the wait no I think he is in a I think he is in a version of Flowers for Algernon I think I, I think I'm right hold on search up Matt Damon Flowers for Algernon Flowers for Algernon was like they have like the pill that makes you smart and they give it to the mouse and then it makes the mouse who I believe is Algernon it makes him smart so then they give it to the guy and then that makes him smart I actually think he's in a version of this so I'm vindicated. Um, no, I don't see anything. No, this is bullshit. Continue what you're saying about Matt Damon. Um, then... So basically, it's like he had never done anything of like the the true action variety. Nothing that really, no movie where he was like really involved in like stunt work or or any sort of that element of things. Um, so Damon was very surprised at the um. 
the casting choice, especially because he mentioned it's like, you know, I, I'm kind of familiar with the book and, and Bourne is like an older person. And he's like, I don't, I, and, and Lyman allegedly said to Damon specifically, I don't want to make James Bond. I don't want you to be Sean Connery or Roger Moore or anything like that. I don't want you to be even Pierce Brosnan. I like in, in Lyman's mind, he's kind of making like sort of something more in the vein of something like uh, La Femme Nikita, something of that nature mm. more so than like in the James Bond realm and, and trying to make something that's going to have action, but is going to be a little bit more again in that drama basis and, and more about the character of Bourne and more of kind of the twist in terms of the plot than like these set pieces. Um, so Damon is very much uh, on board with, something um new and something that would he said would be newly physically demanding for him and he was someone who wanted to be very involved in the stunt work that he was very much like he trained in you know um the filipino um martial arts kali as well as some of like bruce lee's kind of martial arts um mm. ideas um and he said that you know he had he actually did uh, climb down the building in in the bank sequence and climb up the building at the end of the movie, which he said were two. I'm trying to think what is the status of the movies like this at this point, um, just like the spy genre at this point, because obviously we're on we're coming out of the era of some of the Jack Ryan political thrillers, right? So we're in the kind of Jack Ryan the the those those kind of the lower key political thrillers, which again feature like an older. Harrison Ford in that nature of things. Um, and then we're also coming off of reintroducing Bond. Right. Which is definitely going, still maintaining very bombastic roots. Right. So you got to remember that this movie where it eventually comes out, 2002, is right. the same year as Die Another Day. Mm -hmm. So there's that very much bigger, like the big, huge set piece stuff. And if there is kind of other spy work, there, it is a little bit more, maybe not even towards the totally action based, a little bit more like thriller. But that, based, but yeah. that, but what is interesting about it is because you do have a couple of Bond films where it makes more sense why they want to go in the in the in the direction of we're not making Bond because you you've had a couple movies reestablish that well, yeah. Bond is still like a big set piece driven Bond right because even affair. even in the more even in the more kind of down to earth Goldeneye you still have like the big silly tank sequence and like the huge fight at the end on top of the satellite dish. And by the time they're making this movie in 2000, um, you have had, you know, what we can get to the last one was world is not enough where you had the giant, like helicopter with the, all the, you know, the, the, the right. helicopter thing with all the different swirly blades. And you had kind of, you know, all this, like the big nuke in the submarine. And it wasn't really that, especially kind of the big, stakes it was really kind of going into the personal stakes the right, smaller right, stakes right, right. of like it's really about it's really like there's no saving the world aspect of it it's really just a man kind of right running right. for his life mm -hmm. and, and kind of how he deals with coming to terms with the fact that he is a killer in a sense and 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 you know how that kind of affects him as a person that's really what draws Lyman to the character and mm -hmm. that's what Damon loves about Lyman's vision right so mm -hmm. they're very much on the same page um here and they're very much like this is the movie that you see on screen is essentially the movie then that both of them set out to make mm -hmm. um 
just other the other major casting thing to mention here is uh franca polente Mm -hmm. as the marie kuretz character so this was one where again in the book she's like a canadian accountant and there's there's a little bit more kind of has to be saved by born all that sort of stuff um but um basically uh lyman's first choice is franca because she he's a very big fan of the german film run little run which i also really love that is who that is yes okay yeah i i couldn't and, place who it was yeah, yeah. so and and she like that would had been in like a late 90s thing a very big german film um for that period especially kind of had a little bit more of an impact worldwide than um you know like not like huge but like it, it did make its way around and did mm-hmm. have some attention especially in hollywood circles and lyman was a big fan of it and actually said he took a lot of inspiration from that movie in terms of how you know he would he wanted to do born so basically he uh wanted to cast her um as a backup he had a couple other names of, of people he had like uh in his films but he, he she was always really his first choice and um so when she was cast they basically shifted the character to being german and again he didn't he he wanted to kind of make it a little bit more of like an uh, almost a natural friendship between the two as opposed to like oh he had to like save her and mm-hmm. then like right, okay, right, now, right, right. now she's on the run he wanted to be like they just kind of get close naturally as kind of a friendship. And, and it and it is funny that you can see i don't want to say bend over backwards but you can see elements of the plot that were inserted to mm-hmm. get to that result i, I right. would say uh but again like um lyman is another one of the directors at least in this movie that's very much like he's definitely like wants to be intimate with his actors and mm-hmm. wants to get their input and and kind of make everything like the movie that they want to make so like for example even uh franca gets involved where there's the big scene in the movie where you know basically like they get attacked in the apartment and um and kind of the big reveal of like oh he's definitely like kind of involved in something bigger mm-hmm. than either the, the one of them really know at this right, point right and the script called for it to be she like more like kind of screams and cries and like kind of goes like a more a bigger performance and she like she went up the line and was like I feel like this would be more interesting if I'm more, more of like a shock like I went into shock and like I didn't like, you know I couldn't move and stuff mm-hmm. like that and 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 Lyman was very much like I'm all I'm all ears for that I'm all game for that like. He very much was, and even Lyman um, wanted to be so involved with the the actors and the action himself that most of the time on set he would actually take direct control of the camera. Um, that he said, like he for this type of movie, he didn't want to be behind the monitor and and like then like coming on set and and trying to do that. He wanted to be kind of into the action, um, especially because he had this specific vision of, of what he called the movie being on edge. That like they're, they're sort of like born not really knowing who he is. It's just like the film almost doesn't really know mm. where he is and who he is. So mm. one of the things he would do is he would not let the camera operators into rehearsal so that they kind of had to catch up with the actors as well mm. uh, at, at some points or other. Um, but he wanted to make it again a very intimate experience right. uh, from a filmmaking's perspective, uh, which drew the ire of Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. So they begin filming uh, late October. I was going to say, and many more movies that were inspired by Born to come, yes. <laughs> uh, which we'll get into. But yeah, anyway. um, so filming begins late 2000, October 31st, 2000. 
And right from the get-go on filming this movie, Universal thinks they've made a mistake here because they it's one of those things like it's like they see the dailies, they see kind of the script that they're shooting with, and there's a lot of questions. There's just like, you know, there's like the they they're not they're not they're like they Universal's gut is like the film seems very low key and kind of slow for like an action movie. So like we need to insert more action into the movie. Um, so there's a lot of discussion between Lyman and the studio about like how to fix the movie where Lyman is making a movie that he thinks is great. Right. And the Universal's like, well, what if you, you know, oh, we're going to, we're still going to work on the ending a little bit. Like, you know, shoot the movie going to shoot, but we're, we're kind of going to get some people and kind of come up with more ideas for the ending. And then obviously Lyman and Damon are very much fighting for the script that they have. Uh, most infamously. Yeah. The third act is very much a, a, a big point of contention. Um, two things about that, that, that universal did not like, they did not like the scenes at the farmhouse. They thought that they just, they needed to get right into more action. Mm-hmm. And, and that Damon and, and Lyman were like, no, but this is where like, this is where you find out Hawkeye has a family though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is like big part of like that born journey. We need these scenes. And right, finally, right. like the, 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 the studio and, and Lyman and, and Gilroy, Gilroy is basically like, couldn't be on set, but he's essentially rewriting and faxing things to the set for approval and faxing things to universal. And there's basically all this discussion about how they're going to do this. The, the farmhouse scenes change a number of times until we get to the final product, but it's really that last action sequence, quote unquote, that is the real point of contention for universal. So there's basically kind of three versions of the script floating around. There's the script, the version you see in the movie at the safe house. Mm-hmm. There's the version, um, which was in the script, for, which was kind of going to be the final one for a long time, where it's born on a kind of cargo ship, and all the Treadstone assassins kind of, you know, mm-hmm. descend upon him, and he has to like, you know, go through the ship of cargo hold and like, you know, basically mm-hmm. like make his way out. And then there's what Matt Damon called that damned motorcycle and rockets ending, <laughs> which was like. Told, like he was like that's totally not what this movie is right but more they, more i was assumed just based off of the title very bond yeah yeah like big set piece so and, and eventually there's also a a a argument that happens where universal says oh you should insert a tony scott type montage right at the beginning of the third act to like really set the stage mm-hmm. And then Lyman responds, well, if you wanted a Tony Scott type montage, you might as well have hired Tony Scott to right. make this movie. <laughs> that sort of, but that's like kind of like the, the whole big thing right, right. That, that really permeates around the movie. Um, though it's like Lyman is basically just like, I'm going to make the movie I want to make and really like I'll deal with the studio when I can. Mm-hmm. Like that's basically like I'm, I'm going to – essentially Lyman's plan is essentially to force the studio to – basically acquiesce to what he has right it's like i'm gonna shoot what i have i'm gonna shoot what we have and what we agree upon for the script and then if you have a problem with that well you know here's the movie um the uh the it's still like uh, damon would later go on to say because people called it a quote-unquote nightmare production um whereas damon would later say yeah like shooting's always hard and there's always problems but we finished the movie so it's not really a nightmare like it was just <laughs> like and, and i think like obviously lyman was taking more of the brunt of everything right on the studio side but damon was also pushing his weight and it was like damon what it wasn't like damon wasn't a name damon had definitely you know made his name 
enough. Yeah, but he's not. He's he not. Like, he's not a big star, but he definitely. He is. wasn't post born identity. Right. Because again, even when they're filming this, it's not even like again. Like I said, it's still the year before Oceans right. comes out, which is when he's like he's part of that main like kind of triumvirate in that movie where it's like it's Clooney it's Pitt and it's you know Damon yeah it, it is interesting because like even Pitt had kind of like his like smatterings of like right like big action roles like it, it was during that time remember when every like lead actor was like in some sort of like King Arthur type movie yeah like what was his Troy is yes. that was that Pitt's yeah yeah so it was like that so like you know Damon didn't really have his yet until this yeah exactly which you know um yeah I'll, I'll get into damon a little bit later so in and then like in terms of filming it's again they otherwise it's very much like damon and lyman are making the movie that they want to make mm. um and obviously there's also a lot of input from obviously the rest of the uh the stunt team and and the second unit directors and also so specifically the second unit does most of the famous Paris chase sequence mm-hmm. uh, where Lyman was very much more directing the stuff that was like in the car and, and more of the kind of the intimate stuff between Bourne and uh, Marie. Whereas the second unit did the right. actual action. Wh- wh- which is actually pretty common practice in yeah. uh, big action films. Oh, that was another point of contention by the studio, by the way, because the studio of course wants to save money. So they're like, let's full, let's, film in Canada, let's film in Montreal, that can be our Paris, because mm. obviously they share a lot of architectural influence together, because mm. they're both French um, properties, and, and French, you know, provinces and, and places and stuff like that. Right. Um, but Lyman was very much like, Paris is like the best city in the world, so I want to shoot in Paris. And Lyman was like, joke that like, yeah, if you really know Paris, the chasing doesn't make any sense, because they're going all over the place, but I really wanted to show, right. showcase the city and, and and that element of it. So um, there's definitely that. Cool. Um, so basically, the the film is filmed from mid late 2000 into early 2001, um, with a set release date of September 7th, 2001. <laughs> um, what what could have happened that weekend? Uh, so, but there's stuff that happens before that. So the the the, the goal date is September seventh, two thousand and one. Um, during um, post production in March of two thousand and one, late March two thousand one, um, Robert Ludlum dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that sort of element of just like, oh well, the the author that we're basing this book on is is passed. There's kind of a alignment, especially because he is like a even though he's changing the book so much, he is a fan of the man's work and the and the writing. So kind of takes a little bit out of him. But the major thing that happens is testing of the film happens uh, later in the summer. And the ending, the the audiences feel that the ending does need more action. Mm-hmm. But um, Lyman has basically gotten his wish that the ending that they filmed is the, the safe house ending. Um, so essentially Universal, the, the film is now plotted in a way where you can't really shift it away from the safe house ending. Right. So, Universal and Lyman come to an agreement to do reshoots to add a more action sequence into it. Where it's like originally it was just kind of like the more the confrontation between, um, you know, everybody in the safe house, and it was just kind of like more of this drama between them. But Lyman and Damon do agree to reshoot the ending to include a more action sequence of of people coming in and descending upon the safe mm-hmm. house, sort of a combination of the uh, idea from. 
the uh the cargo boat ending kind of inserting into here where it's like he has to kind of escape with everybody kind of attacking him uh so with those reshoots the film is delayed into 2002 originally may of 2002 before final release date of june uh it was delayed from may to june because um matt damon was a voice in the spirit movie mm-hmm. uh the stallion of the cimarron or the, whatever yes yeah, stallion of the cimarron so they didn't want a Matt Damon voice role in a Matt Damon live action movie to come out on the same weekend. <laughs> uh, right. So they delayed it. You don't want to split the audience. Um, yes, exactly. You know, counter programming as they say, mm-hmm. but it's like, you can't counter program against your own star, I guess. Um, but you know, obviously then uh, it would have been the most Matt Damon movies that make the most amount of money in one weekend. Yes. They could have set a record. They could have set. Um, so yeah, so obviously, um, there were questions about editing the movie post 9/11 that we you know that week they were supposed to come out mm-hmm. you know they kind of avoided all that from a release standpoint but there was some discussion about is the movie still relevant is there stuff in here that you know will you know right upsetting. right okay that makes sense um so not many edits happen um the only thing that does happen to the movie is that the movie is giving a given a little bit of a more happy ending mm. um than it originally had it originally had a little bit more of a kind of unclear into kind of like not dark but like Essentially, it was just like I'll, I'll I'll actually explain it like once we get to the ending. Mm-hmm. I think it'll make more sense when we talk about it there. But basically, like a little bit more of a happier ending, um, as opposed to kind of an, um what was felt as after nine eleven, like an unnecessarily like kind of gloomy. Right, ending, right. That it, makes sense. As it were. Cool. Um. So that's essentially um it. I think um pretty much um. This was kind of like a, a passion project for Lyman, and, and Damon was very, very much on board with it. And um, he he said that as tough as it was to kind of get used to the stunt work, that it was, to that point, some of the more fun stuff he had done for himself in his career. And um, you can kind of tell even from like the early kind of like him discussing it that he definitely knows that there's more than one book. And he's already, he's already, he's already kind of like, you know, I wouldn't mind coming back to play this character type of deal, um, which we'll definitely get into in the aftermath and kind of the the legacy, not not just <laughs> not just Born, the Born legacy, but kind of the legacy of Born and and where the franchise went. But it's interesting just because again, it's not as if Universal saw this as a franchise. It's not if Lyman wanted to make versions of um, Supremacy and Ultimatum down the line he was very much like i just want to make this one movie Mm. based on like you know my father's memoir kind of like inspired by my father's memoirs inspired by this book i like kind of telling the version of this story that i want to tell Hmm. should we talk about it yeah let's go let's do it all right we'll be right back who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign too, I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. 
I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? All right. Um, and we are back to talk about the born identity. Yes. Um, which um, I forgot that we watched last night. So that may... Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, that may preemptively and, talk about uh, shed some light on what uh, my feelings about the movie. One of the things that, again, I should re-mention about why we're watching the Born Identity, yes, is because this has the the Born series and the Born style of action cinema has multiple times been credited as a huge influence on what would become the two thousand the early 2000s into 2000s version of the action film mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, like I said, this was a movie that came up a lot in discussions of the 2006 version of Casino Royale, mm-hmm. as well as, again, the type of movie that Matthew Vaughn wanted to avoid making when he was making Kingsman. Right. This was definitely like, oh, like I, the, the, the influence of this movie is not to be understated. Um, in terms of this is even if there were movies that are maybe similar to this right before this or around this point, this is the movie that really kind of brought the attention on kind of this lower key action this, cinema type of thing. This movie, I'm glad. I'm actually glad we're starting it off with this because this movie, I would say, is goes in that list of very underrated influences. Like I'm, I'm sure that would be an interesting list of movies that when you really think about it. Um, really influenced a lot even though because there are obviously influences like iron man and the avengers like influence like the whole like superhero thing star wars influence like and jaws influence like the giant blockbuster and everybody knows that but there are other movies that kind of like influence certain like certain things like i I can't think of a go-to example of it but born the born identity and its subsequent movies definitely go in that list of all right you probably don't your you your brain doesn't go to it as being such an influential film yeah but it clearly has and i think that's like the biggest thing like kind of like that on the ground uh rough and tumble because i don't even want to say gritty because gritty is kind of we relegated that to like like the uh like the batman reboots and stuff like this is like i would call this like on the ground rough and tumble like uh you know foot chases hand-to-hand combat um maybe some uh some thriller aspects to it um so all of those elements we've seen influence certain movies we've even seen them influence in certain movies like you know like uh uh, you know, Captain America: Winter Soldier being an, uh, another one that has some more of its roots in like a born type of movie because it's always like you know, and then it's like Man on the Run is another type of trope that I think was more popularized because like not that it was um, that was always a trope in movies, but I, I felt like the born identity really like gave a jolt to the system for yeah. like that being back in your and, and I mean to the point that in our Bond movies it's the plot of every bond movie mm-hmm. like and you know and, and and i would say it influenced other movies too like um 
eventually like the Mission Impossible movies and, and things like that, which I, I feel like so much of it could be rooted to the Bourne identity and its subsequent movies because, and it's weird because I distinctly remember that. I distinctly remember that Bourne, like I remember like this movie and its and its franchise being way more of a big deal at its height yes. than it is now. Like I distinctly remember that. And like eventually some of its less desirable traits as the movies went on uh, became more apparent. But I remember there was so much about like this movie being considered such an influential gem. Mm-hmm. At, at at the time, yeah, just, it, the concept of it about like this guy, like it, it's such like, like you can see why somebody based on you, you could easily pitch this movie and it probably get made. Yeah. Like just the scene of him sitting on the bench and then like two cops come up to him and then he's like, no, don't don't bother me. And a cop touches him and then he uses like fight moves to like knock him out and he's like, whoa, where did that come from? Right. Like. You could make that short film. Mm-hmm. You could see that today where somebody makes a short film version of that, and then somebody's like, give that person a budget and make, make the movie a version of it. Yeah. Um, so that is just kind of – so you're right in talking about like how very uh, underratedly influential this movie is. Um, this movie for me, though, may have been in the entire history of the Bonzilla podcast – the toughest movie for me to watch objectively. And here's what I mean about that. So, I'm going into this movie remembering it for the most part. Remembering certain things, like I kind of remember the premise, like I remember the premise, I kind of remember the outline of where the plot goes, I remember Clive Owen is in the movie at one point, um, and he gets killed, um... Like, you know, Brian Cox and um, Julia Stiles are in it because they're in all these movies. Um, somehow Julia Stiles, like, I haven't even seen them all, but somehow Julia Stiles was, like, made it into all no, four so of the, that, of so, the Matt okay, Damon Okay, so ones. this is what, so this kind of gets to my point. So, but I also know more about what the entire deal with the franchise is. Right, like, once you get, like, the the original, the full original trilogy and then everything that happens right, after Right, like, I, I know kind of, all the background that that's the only thing that's really in my mind like i know what the origin and the deal is and like w- like what the end game is uh per se um so but so i'm going into this movie not quite remembering every single detail of the movie and i'm also going in knowing everything about the franchise itself so i had a little bit of um for horror fans would probably get this if you're new to Friday the 13th, and, th- and this is an extreme example, but if you're new to Friday the 13th, what do you know? You know, Jason, you know, him in the machete, you know, the hockey mask, you know, all that. You right. know, like, that's what you know just through cultural osmosis. Then you go and watch Friday the 13th 1, the first, the original one. Yeah. 
and is not in the movie at all. It's it, it's one of those like classic cliche horror movie like horror movie serve uh like, trivia questions like who was the killer in Friday Thirteenth One? Jason? No, it was Jason's mom. And it's like you know he doesn't even get the mask until three. Everybody everybody knows that. But it's one of those like if you go back and watch it, it, it is you know a big deal in the franchise. But there's so many elements that it's hard to go back and watch that first one when you know the entire scope of yeah. where it goes. Now that's an extreme example of what I'm saying on a, on a more micro example I found myself at the end of the movie having a difficult time parsing out the experience of the movie itself versus everything I knew about the movie and having to look at it objectively from that regard because even Star Wars I, you know I'll be honest like even Star Wars doesn't 100% uh, get out of this trap for me but Star Wars at least has a little bit more of like, okay, satisfying ending to that. I would argue that Star Wars has kind of become more of the trilogy, so you know it's kind of hard to culturally just look at it as its first movie. Mm-hmm. But you can get to the end of Star Wars, and you're like, okay, like they beat the Empire in that context, big celebration at the end, and you've been told a whimsical tale of space wizards and battles. Yeah, You get kind of to the end of this movie... And and I did kind of have that feeling of like, oh, that that's it, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> and then I and then I was trying to think. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was pretty solid. Was it good? <laughs> like, was it? And and the biggest thing is, was that a complete movie? Was was kind of the feeling I had mm. going into it. And then ultimately, the next morning, I kind of forgot we watched it and. But me still having cemented in my head the entire Bourne mythos. Yeah. So what's going on, Nick? Like, what? what what's? What, do, do you follow? No, do I you, get you. I definitely get you. It's interesting. I kind of here's what I'm very much less familiar with the Bourne franchise mm. as a whole. I believe, like, I can't even. It's one of those things where I definitely have seen this, but I I can't tell you when. Like it was definitely yeah. It is one of those movies. <laughs> well, it's like it was definitely like early on in like my filmic interest. I might have seen it somehow, like you know, like on TV or whatever. You know, like it was definitely like I definitely knew this movie. I don't think I've actually seen the other two. Like mm. I like I actually haven't seen anything else of Born. I kind of know the general idea. So I kind of I think I like everyone else saw all of them except the Renner one. <laughs> we'll discuss that. Um, we will definitely discuss that. Mm. I, I can't wait to discuss. Not, not- now, but again, I, I I don't know it like I don't know it intricately, but I, I know it enough where like right. I know what the deal is. Yeah, so it's like I, I think I'm coming up with a little bit different perspective where I kind of also like basically kind of was like basing it off of like well I know this is kind of the influence, mm. so it's like I'm interested to see it from that perspective. So my my thing about this is I enjoyed watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I definitely like is here's the thing. I enjoyed watching it. Have no interest of like revisiting it right now. Like mm-hmm. this specific one. Mm-hmm. I definitely do have more interest in kind of just I felt this was like just a very like good little watch where it's like I wouldn't mind just putting on like the the other two of the original trilogy just to like put them on. See, yeah. I feel like 
as soon as it was over, I'm like, oh, well, I have to watch the other two. Yeah, I kind of felt... But, but I didn't feel that way out of, like, because I like this one. I felt like, well, okay, so the next two complete the story. Right. Yeah. Like, I felt that way. And admittedly saying that as I don't think that's being fair to... This movie. This movie, because this movie clearly wasn't made with that intention. So it, that you see what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's super odd, because, like, yeah. those exist. Yeah, I definitely... Because, it's like, again, I, I just don't have the familiarity. So I was like... I kind of was like, I enjoyed watching this. I have no... Like, I wouldn't, like, go out and purchase this on DVD to, like, own it or Blu-ray. But I would be... I, I was like, I'm interested in seeing more. I kind of just enjoy watching, like, just just Damon go through it. I don't, I don't think it's like incredible, but I just kind of like, it's just watchable in that sense. Like Damon has like a watch. I, I would say the first half of this movie, it, I would, no, I would say this about the whole movie all the way through. It, it's like a, it, it's like a, a, a lean brisk, uh, kind of, uh, just for lack of a better term, fun little movie. Like, and, and with these kind of interesting little nuances that I actually found that were very charming, like these charming little nuances. And then, um, but like it's funny because the movie ultimately does come to the in, to this point in an admirable way, but it feels so unsatisfying. And I and again, I know I'm being a broken record. I can't parse if that is the movie or if that is me projecting where I know the franchise right. goes. Well, this, the main point I was getting to is where I have difficulty with this movie. Because there, there's two types of influential movies. There's the influential movies like Star Wars. Just you go back to that Star Wars example. There's the influential movies like Star Wars where the influence is kind of the height. And then, yes, there's good stuff that comes out of it. Mm-hmm. But like you always go back to the influence. This movie is the other type of influential movie where... I'm watching this and I'm thinking I'm liking this, but I've also seen this more interesting, like the 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 general yes, like, I, idea. Yeah, I like this has become more interesting and more different, and the in the things that have been influenced by this have taken this central, the rough and tumble down like down mm-hmm. to realism type of thing and and that element of it, and kind of made it better in some ways. That that was the other thing. For a movie that, you're right, had such this influence, and in the, and there's all these, like, kind of tropes about that are kind of... And, and, I, and again, I don't know if this is more the upcoming movies. Maybe it's one of the, that type of deal. But there were so many of those, like, born tropes that they kind of do, but I almost feel like it was still too little. Like, it was almost... Like, I don't mean to sound mean, but it was almost unremarkable in that way. Yeah. Like, like, right. You know, it, it's like, fun and fine, but there wasn't anything that wowed and, me about right. it. It's like, I can definitely see where the influence comes from, even just within this one. Like, I can definitely see like the consulate sequence and even just like, like, uh, the bond, like going to like the courthouse in skyfall or, you know, stuff in, 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 in casino Royale, like when he's going through the airport. Right, and stuff. Right, like, right. I can definitely see, how you start here and eventually get to that point. Um, but it's also just kind of like, it's one of those things where I'm watching this, and like I'm definitely enjoying it, but I've also seen this more interesting down the road. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's kind of where it's hard sometimes with, with watching, watching the influence and watching the first of that influence is that, you know, like I said, like in this type of thing, 
I just kept thinking of like other films too. It felt like one of those movies where you remember those memorable moments that influence other moments for a reason. Yes. And and it's not the worst example of that because sometimes it's like, you know, there's movies like that where it's like, oh, remember like that one scene and like that scene is like so memorable and the rest of the movie's trash. It's not quite like that. Yeah. But I remember like there are certain bits I know about Bourne. Like I know like a lot of people make hay out of like – he has that kind of like hidden super spy thing where he, he can like like uh kill you with anything kind of deal like he'll pick up a pen and can like not fully macgyver like make it but it can like make a killing weapon out of anything mm-hmm. and i remember that being kind of like a thing that he does he does that maybe like once yeah. in the movie like and i wonder and it makes you me think is this something that maybe is explored more in the next coming movies? Or does everybody just remember this one time that he did it? Yeah. And that's what people and that are becomes remembering. Like a central part of the character. Right, right, right. right. But it's like when you go back, he only did it like once. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's like, I, like, I'm so curious if this is a case of kind of like, uh, semi, that, I don't know, there must be a term for it, but that's semi entertainment cultural amnesia about like or retrospective amnesia where it's like you're kind of you're remembering it correctly and wrong at At the the same same time time. yeah um yeah what you're hearing from me is a real attempt to reconcile what my feelings about about the movie are um because by the end of it i was kind of like oh we were getting to the end of this movie i was like is this the end of the movie like really and in a way, so, okay, so the whole plot of the movie, which we kind of already went over, is that random guy is found drifting in the ocean. Fishermen pull him out of the ocean. Uh, a kindly doctor uh, patches him up, finds a finds a chip in his head. Uh, a co- oh, cord, like a, like a, like a chip that has coordinates to somewhere right, in his right. head. Yeah. So like in the original book, it was like microphone, but they updated it to be like, it's basically like a chip that has like a infrared light right. that points him to like a, a, a Swiss bank account. Mm. Now, so that, op- so uh, he wakes up, uh, you know, some things are coming back to him. He's, he's kind of like a normal dude uh, played by Matt Damon, but has no recollection of like how he got there, who he is. Like he, like, he has like a lot of he, like he knows how he can speak another language. He knows like all these specific like how to read and write and everything. Like he knows how to function, but he just he can't remember who he is and where he's from. Like he can't remember that basic element of himself. And also one thing he learns which I already made fun of is that so he 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 has all he doesn't know any of this stuff, but one thing he does find out is that uh, when um, met by aggressive behavior, he triggers into uh, super spy, is right. able to knock people out. And over the course of the film, we learn it's like his instincts are crazy. Like he 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 goes through this whole scene where he's like, it's like when we walked in here, I know that there's like four exits, and like yeah. the car outside was red, and like that the the waiter like like you is like left handed, yeah. like things like I that. I think that's gonna be our quote actually. Yeah. Um, so he, so anyway, so that, so that's what he is. So that's his deal. Meanwhile, elsewhere, uh, we are shown kind of like the CIA and, um, that 
were basically privy to the information that there was a botched assassination attempt on like a warlord, right? Or yeah, something, like, something a, like, like that. A, like a basically like yeah, former African warlord mm-hmm. that like he's been ousted of power. He wants to get back, and he's you know he he's basically kind of the first thing we know about it. Like he's on the news, and he's basically saying. There was an attempt of my life. I know it was like basically like the CIA that did it. Mm-hmm. I have proof of this. And if you don't put like he's basically threatens like to them privately, like, if you don't put me back in power, I will reveal your secrets. Right. And so we we cut to the CIA and then it's like one of those like, well, like we don't know anything about it, but we have to look into this. Of course, then it cuts to uh, Brian Cox, who leads us down a trail of a uh, corner of the CIA that, you know, without burying the lead clearly has like sleeper agents around the world. <laughs> yes. Like it's like it's essentially like a secret of secret projects. Mm-hmm. Like, like the idea of something that like not, not even like your Congressman really knows about, mm-hmm. like th- that even like some of the other people in the CIA don't know about. It's like secret of secret projects known and, as, as we find out Treadstone. Right. And, 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 and this is like an interesting kind of thing to point out about the plot is like, it clearly is not, really building a mystery to who Jason Bourne is. Right. It's just a mystery to the character itself. We know. And there are other elements of, like, we may not know all the specific details, but we generally know Bourne, uh, which is the name he takes. He doesn't even know. Like, he thinks it's his real name, but he finds out he has other identities. So, like, he starts getting confused and that ends, too. But he essentially, like, Bourne is some sort of, of agent within the CIA, and now, you know, basically to cover their tracks... Uh, Chris Cooper and fellow Treadstone I, people basically are like, because they're also like, they're confused of like, why isn't he reported in? He's taken all the money. Why is he taking all the money? So basically, again, it's trying to clean up this mess that they've made for themselves. Yeah, the one um, thing, because there's two interesting plot points about it. One is that the amnesia bit is kind of like a, like, um, like a external circumstance that like, kind of like, is really the inciting incident for the movie. It's not like you're a sleeper agent who your memory turns off and on. It's like something happened to this, this sleeper agent that like made him forget everything. And now he's like, uh, like a loose asset. Yeah. Um, so, so that as a plot element, I actually really like, and to give the movie some credit, I have often complained about movies, especially like movies like, um, uh, view to a kill where the problem is is that the bad guys you know what the bad guys are doing to the detriment of the plot of the movie so now you're basically watching the hero um catch up to what you already know and it's not as interesting this is one of those things where i i felt like they kept a pretty like good line of this because clearly jason is trying to find out who he is but if you're watching the movie, like you would have to like really not be watching the movie to already piece together what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, like they, like they they reveal pretty upfront that like Matt Damon is the sleeper agent that they're looking for. Now they think that you're right, like he's up to something. We know as an audience that oh he has amnesia. So there, so I I felt like to give the movie credit, I think its biggest uh, benefit. Or the best part about it was kind of like how it uh, found the dichotomy between those two types of plots. And, and that's what really kept it interesting. Because there are elements like you don't know why he has amnesia. That, right. that is a mystery in, of the movie itself. Yeah, like what actually happened right. um, to him. Um, 
so yeah, so th- that that I thought was the movie's biggest strength. Yeah, so because basically, like where it goes is like he's on this boat mm-hmm. and he gets dropped off on land and he basically makes his way to the Swiss bank mm-hmm. and then basically, you know, he, he again with no memory, he's he's basically parsing it as much as he can to like seem like he it's all together, like that he's not like going crazy or anything like that. So he gets to this. You know, and, and again, we already know that the the CIA is essentially looking for their agent. There's this man, and so he gets to the bank. He opens the the red bag, or no, so he opens the he doesn't open the red bag that comes later. He opens up the uh, uh, the, the safety deposit box mm-hmm. that he has, and it's filled with like money from all these different countries, like five, seven different passports, and a gun. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so it's just still like all confusing to him and then i think the other thing that should be mentioned too is like he has these moments where like he gets into like again like with the cops and stuff where he like gets into like automatic fight mode and like you know is like almost like second nature right and then like he's so like stunned and almost like doesn't want to be that violent so like a big moment is like he has a safe deposit box he takes like the the bank the red bank bag mm. and he like dumps all the money and all the passports and everything like that and he and it's where he discovers the name Jason Bourne but then he also discovers like there's other names mm. associated with him Yeah too. the more I think about it the more I am actually quite impressed with how they were able to weave in and out that plot because you the audience like I said know what the deal is like you know mm-hmm. that he's a spy but there are elements of like you slowly uncover like what the mission was and what he was doing. Right. And so in, in that way, I thought the plot actually worked. And then even all this stuff that you're mentioning as he's kind of like being like a spy without knowing he's a spy is actually like some brisk fun stuff. Like the way he takes out the people at the Swiss bank and like the way like he kind of like goes through the hallways and like take like uh, is able to like block a door and then he's like takes a map and there's just like kind of like a, a leanness to all right. of that action or that it's like, is he's really like fun. definitely like just going by the nature even though he doesn't necessarily know why he has that nature. I think it's like I do think they the there are able especially within like the first half when he's still very much more confused right about himself to like to play that in a fun way. Mm-hmm. But it's like again like a big moment is that he decides to leave like the only thing he leaves in the safety deposit box is the gun. Mm-hmm. Um and and there's like there's definitely an aversion to being like giving into those violent instincts of his even if like even when he's like escaping, you know, um the consulate cuz he essentially like realizes he's being followed and he like ducks into you know once he leaves a bank he realizes he's being followed and like he knows that there's something more going on now mm-hmm. because of like what he found in his deposit box so he like ducks into the american consulate um in sweden so that like oh like the police don't have jurisdiction there you know it's like again kind of a safe house but then eventually like you know he is an American agent, so the, then the Marines are called in because it's like they, you know, everybody's getting updated. So then he has to escape. And again, even like him trying to escape. Now, this is like when I really started to feel like where this influence came in. Because like I, I mentioned it earlier, but th- like the smooth, almost the smoothness of this consulate escape sequence right. mm-hmm. uh, is very much like what we see in like Casino Royale. Like you can definitely see the pathway from an action sequence, like a set piece like this, to like the sequences we see in the Craig films specifically again, just to kind of, there's like a smoothness to it, like with the score and everything. And it's just like, you know, like you're following him and, and he, like, he's like kind of smoothly, like taking a map off a wall and like, like an emergency map off a wall and studying it. And then like finding like different avenues and, 
and and just like kind of like the lower key like it's not like a gunfight you mm-hmm. know which again with like obviously like these films that take influence from it eventually turn stuff like this into gunfights right but there's there is that element of just like this the smooth kind of almost quiet like we're getting out of here escape sequence right that mm-hmm. kind of just the way it's like directed and the way it's pulled and i think again it it, it gets bigger as you know more movies take from it but you just see where it comes from and it and it also it, it also really establishes what makes Jason Bourne so different from like your Bonds or your Ethan Hunts or um any other character like that that it, it, he's more of a sleuth than anything else like yeah. he he like his literal it, it is funny while, while he can take out somebody if he can and there are times in the movie where he does that most of the it is it, it's a spy who's really being a spy in the terms of like where his main um strength is being covert mm-hmm. um which is something that is actually quite unique uh, at least uh, uh, covert in the in the very efficient nature that he is it's not like some elaborately planned thing like Ethan Hunt and it's not you know i mean I wouldn't call James Bond covert in in, no, in, yeah. in any way. At least it's not. Per- so, so that was like another strength that I thought that they 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 really yeah. sold that element of it. Yeah. So again, it's just like I you I just definitely was like having flash forwards to like things mm-hmm. I would see in other movies just from just from that that consulate sequence. Um. And, and you know, I I do want to while we're here, just because we're talking about I, we were talking about um, born and how this scene is done. I do want to talk about Damon a little bit yeah. um, because Damon, obviously we talked about like this was like the first, like this is where like Matt Damon is like become superstar like yeah. in, in right. this movie yeah. going forward. Um, it was interesting seeing him in this mm-hmm. um, because I talked a little bit about Matt Damon's career prior to this. What fascinates me more is his career since this mm-hmm. Because somebody and I and like I can't take credit for this. It was somebody I, I did hear this from somebody else. I can't remember who, but I I saw the most entertaining analysis of his career. That like it's crazy that Matt Damon went from Jason Bourne like this is a a new action guy, and uh, you know you're you're gonna see him in his action movies now to playing the dad in movies. Which is kind of like you know, or you know, it's kind of like lo- like a love like he he he's played a lovable oaf a couple times, yeah. Um, and it, it it's super fascinating to see. And the reason I bring this up is because, in some ways, he is he doesn't portray any of those slick action hero tropes. Like he's just kind of like. Like he's very short of being a full-on dweeb. In, in, yeah. In, in this movie, like he kind of he does have that like kind of dumb, nice innocence about him, despite him being like a super spy assassin. Yeah. Um. Now it's interesting because I don't know whether you know you could argue is that because of like the memory loss and everything, but even the way like Damon like plays him just plays him as kind of like a normal like um I almost think at the very least white collar guy. <laughs> I do think that's like a strength though of like the Damon casting because it's almost like I can imagine like 
an organization like Treadstone, like, you know, because it's like Damon is like, again, he plays kind of the normal dude Mm -hmm. who I feel like you would get, like, Treadstone would want somebody like him because he easily can, like, blend in Mm -hmm. and, and, and be like the normal dude that nobody suspects is actually like the super spy. And I, I, I generally enjoyed watching Damon throughout the movie. Um, I think there's, there's like a specific type of charm that Damon has, especially in this type of role. Mm-hmm. That just like that was like more so the reason than like anything else. That at the end I wanted to be like, okay, well I might as well just watch the like, the other two because mm-hmm. there's just it was an enjoyability of just like a, almost a calmness of just watching like Damon just be Jason Bourne. Right almost. now, now for me, Damon is one of those actors where his lighter work is m- m- my favorite of yeah. his. Like his. his um, like his work in movies, like the like the Oceans movies, or like the Informant and things like that, are like a little bit more up my alley of like what I like to see him do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I liked him in this, and I think the more and more I kind of think about it, the more it is refreshing because one of the things we said about Brosnan was that Brosnan is just so instantly like charming and cool, um, and he's able to kind of like channel that in different ways. It's interesting that. Matt Damon is very watchable while not displaying any of those um, immediate likable qualities, if yeah. that makes sense. No, like, I, I get you. I wouldn't call him charming in the movie. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call him, like, heroic in, in like, you know, he's not Captain America. No. Um, and in some ways, and I think this kind of leads into why I brought up, like, while he has played like lovable Ophi characters later on it he is more in the vein of why I like Paul Rudd in the Ant-Man movies mm. now again those the Ant-Man movies kind of play up the the everyday man version of Paul Rudd and because the story calls for it and you know the Bourne movies obviously don't but there is a little bit more of like an average guy an average Joe quality to Matt Damon that I think sings in yeah. this role in this movie while doing relatively little, um, you know, and that comes down to his relationship with our, with, with our, um, with what's the character's name? Uh, Marie. Uh, Marie. Like it comes down to, you know, um, her, um, his earnest confusion with the situation. Yeah. And I think it's also like, again, what's so interesting about Bourne as the character is that he is this kind of, assassin you know has probably done the dirtiest of dirty deeds for in in the name of mm-hmm. Treadstone in his country but there is this kind of interesting thing where you know once he loses his memory he loses that knowledge that he is an assassin even with all these you know abilities that he may have like mm-hmm. his instinct is to like be nice and good to people right like, I think there's like definitely like an interesting nature to that for the character and I think like if you're going to cast that I think that Damon kind of brings the best out of it because he can kind of play that almost doofy earnestness, right? In a way that I don't think you could, you would have gotten with like a Pitt or a Crow. Like no, 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 no. The thing is, like, Crow would have played it too angry. Pitt would have played it too cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like there's a specific almost la- like in terms of the regular like scenes of his him discussing. There's like a lack of intensity, which works. That's a really good way of putting There's it. There's a real lack of like, obviously like- Which what, is why I think somebody like a Schwarzenegger or a um, Stallone would have just made it a completely different type of right. character and maybe movie because 
they just bring the intensity with them regardless. Mm-hmm. And there, there's also nothing left to the imagination I with almost, those characters. You know what it is? Like, I, I will say this. Like, this is a weird comparison, but like a direct comparison thing is like how... I don't know why I'm thinking of this when you said that, but I'm thinking about how like Beverly Hills Cop was originally a Stallone vehicle and it was like going to be more gritty and mm-hmm. like like more like dark like ram- more Rambo asking its like grittiness and revenge aspects. Mm-hmm. And then they cast Murphy and it just turns into, you know, a, a completely unique character right, because right, right. because Murphy brings something new to the production. I feel like it's almost the same thing with Damon where it's like casting Damon kind of brings out just a very specific version of Bourne that kind of almost makes it so unique that it uh, it's almost like brings more attention to the movie right. as opposed to be as opposed to it becoming just another spy action movie right with like another lead yeah there's nothing what are the i just have to get this out of the way one of my favorite little line deliveries in the movie was like towards the end of the movie where chris cooper's like yelling at him and then i think he doesn't he say something he's like you're a disgrace like and and to be clear like for the most part like jason has been keeping his cool yeah the entire movie so like at one point like chris cooper is like yelling at his face and he's like you're an embarrassment you're a disgrace and then like jason's like what a disgrace <laughs> it was just the way like as if he's arguing like with his parents or something or right. like a teach a teacher's like yelling at him or something it, it like was that. just he was so like punched in the gut by that criticism you know, like it, it was so like, funny to me, it's like as if like he's being if he's like getting an argument at like someone's wedding where it's like like the family like the family right like, right right right, and he's right. Like, like me a disgrace and like, it was just like, funny that that was the thing where that, like kind of set him yeah, off yeah that he was just like what come on like there's no need for name calling um so yeah so that's kind of like what i have to say about damon like i i I did i did like him in the movie um uh but you know but it it also it was just interesting thinking about like where the movies go because eventually you get to jason Bourne, where you know he's not he doesn't completely uh abandon the character jason Bourne, meaning uh the the title of the movie the 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 latest film yeah the, the 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 fifth jason Bourne movie um and by the time you get to that movie, it's a little bit more like, oh, he's comfortable as like the action guy, which I guess makes sense because it's like you're, you know, five movies in and he now he knows kind of who he is. So maybe there's some sense made there. But right. uh, but yeah, so that's good. Um, but also him being as normal and kind of uncons- inconspicuous as he is kind of leads into kind of like the plot of the movie. Right. Like especially because as he's on the run, Treadstone activates like other, other sleeper agents. Right. So basically like where we were is like at the bank, like he, he eventually like escapes like a, like a fire escape that basically leads him into like a, like a, like the top of the building where he has to like climb down and stuff like that. And eventually he re-meets a woman that was having an argument with like one of the consulate clerks about like, you know, getting a visa um, in, uh, in there. And so basically that's our leading lady, Marie, um, who he offers essentially $20,000 right. to drive him to Paris because his only clue is Paris. Like that's like the only clue that he has. Right. Wait, wait, and then it's funny because then the movie goes through its lengths to explain that she's like, you know, uh, you know, she doesn't stay anywhere more than like a month and she's like a grifter and yeah. she like, she, uh, you know, she's a couch surfer type, type I person, did. which is just funny because then it like, you know, plot wise, it's like, all right. So it gives a little bit more leniency that she could just join him whenever. Yeah. But then at the same time, 
it did give a little bit more plot to making it more believable why she would go along with yes. him because she literally has no, no home. Right. right, and it's like, and she's also someone who like, oh, it seems like she always like she any money she makes, she always like tries to spend it like right away, mm. and then. She's always basically like kind of poor and always getting kicked out of apartments and mm. stuff. Like that's where she is at the beginning of the movie is that she was kicked out of her. And she was getting, what was she getting, a passport at the she beginning was, she, of the movie? She, she got evicted from her apartment and mm. she was trying to get a visa mm-hmm. to like America to like, right. make okay, her next, like yeah. to make her next move because like it was just like she just didn't have anywhere else to go. One thing about that though I will say, it is, I, I kind of find it funny and I don't really play this point, but I do kind of find it funny that because she's like just the drifter, when like because we get we always cut back to treadstone and trying to figure out what jason Bourne's up to where we also see like a fresh-faced walton goggins as part of the cast. oh yeah 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 he he snuck in there didn't he like, right because i, like, I, I kind of saw like you the, were, yeah you were like is that walton goggins i saw like the balding head and like the distinct he has a distinct face right so i saw him as like that was walton. he also had a very very classic walton goggins line i can't remember what it was but he it was something like it's like they'll be it's like they'll be cooked like a goose on christmas like something yeah. like that i forget right. what it was but, but he because they're, they're like they eventually like are trying to find out where he's going like they're right. trying to find any clues because again they don't know like what's happened to him why why he's not reporting in why he failed the mission uh so then they finally like get to like you know they, we also get an early 2000s like zoom in enhance moment oh yeah yeah uh very very like you know early 2000s like moment like that but eventually like they find the camera where they see like born getting into the car with the woman marie mm. I did find it funny that because like she like has been like a drifter, they're like she's like they treat her very seriously when they're talking about her. It's like we 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 only have a couple of leads. Like she paid a bill here, she lived here at one point, but like she's like off the grid, like essentially. Right, right. And then, like, Christian- which, which which is a kind of like a like a point in the movie I don't think is driven home enough that like they think that he's up to something yeah. because they don't have the, again, they right. don't have the information that he legitimately right. has amnesia. That's what I was about to say, that the movie doesn't play that point, but I still just find it funny that like they have to treat her, like she's just a like legitimately just a normal human being. Right, right. And they have to treat her seriously because like they don't have any information. I, or- but you know, I, I would say, just sorry, going back to that point, I would say maybe this may be the only aspect of the movie that from a political thriller aspect um, kind of falls flat. Mm-hmm. A little bit, like it's fine, but that's a classic like political thriller. Like you know what will will uh, what would uh, a source of drama mm-hmm. uh, is that like they he has amnesia, but they don't know that, so they think he's like an agent on the run. Like what is he going to do? Like you know yeah. he's a loose cannon. Right. Um. I feel like that that point isn't hammered home it, it is interesting because that's enough. all that is something that is from what i understand obviously i have not read the books but that's something that's more understood in the book mm-hmm. partially because you also have this other like terrorist character that's chasing him so right like, maybe he went with him or maybe like like because he like the thing is like he took all the money so like and he's not reporting in so he has to like, be like it, up to something it, it's technically there but it kind of just feels like a more straightforward like he's a loose cannon Right, and we just need to get rid right. of it. Right, and it's more. It com- becomes more. It becomes less about them thinking of Bourne as like a danger, as it is about Chris Cooper's character, mm-hmm. um, the director of Treadstone, like covering his own ass, co- basically covering his own ass, and like protecting his. Is basically it's almost like his dream, like this this organization that he's come up with, and this like agency that he has power over. Okay, um, like he he he's like it, like this goes one way south, mm-hmm. like I'm screwed. But so this brings up an, a bigger point, Treadstone. 
what is Treadstone? Based off of this movie, what would you say that we get to the end of this movie knowing what Treadstone is? Treadstone was a very expensive American government project that seemingly placed highly trained and possibly mentally manipulated right right (laughs) individuals in certain locations around the world to do like the dirtiest of dirty work Mm -hmm. right so that's interesting because you're right i think that is the heavy implication and the movie never explicitly explains that right and again now this is that disconnect because that's very much what it is, but it's like in your face by the time three movies came come right. out. Right. Well, because like I mean, this uh, I, I guess I really haven't seen the movies, but this I know where it's like at the end of this movie, they mention another thing, mm. Blackbriar, which I know gets eventually placed into like Ultimatum, and there's more of a distinctive like, right like element of that where it's like the next step of this now, project. I think that there is something admirable about the way that they do it in the film Mm -hmm. where it is very much like a they'll bring it up but they're not going to answer all your questions about it like that's kind of like the espionage nature of it and frankly they give you enough where technically you can say like all right it works as like its own piece of work but do you feel just personally when you watch it that just as like a story itself that it concluded that element of the story in a satisfact in a satisfactory way. And I'm asking you as somebody who doesn't know the other movies. Yes. Like the thing, cause the thing is, is like the other part of it that's very much is present in it is that there's already like within the CIA and within the people that know, especially with Brian Cox's character, who's kind of like in oversight, like one of the few people that knows about it. It's already like kind of a controversial program in and of itself like it does feel like you know w- w- the way that cox plays is like it's on the verge of like shutting down if one thing goes wrong which is what quote spoiler what happens at the end of the movie is that the entire program mm. is essentially shut down i i mean i felt i was kind of fine mm-hmm. with it um just in the sense that like really it just the way that it ended kind of just made sense to me personally I don't know. I don't know. How to, I, like, I, like, think, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't, I guess it was like, it didn't like blow me away. It didn't say like, oh, like this, like this. But it was like, I didn't have really any issues with it. I think for me, the issue was, was that, and I'm glad you brought up the specifics of the plot because you're right. By the end, they end up, because even when you watch the movie, you as an audience member, you know, it's like Chris Cooper's fucking up. Like that character like keeps yeah. messing up and all of his judgments are like terrible. So you think one of the sleeper agents is like going to be like picking off Bourne because right, we when at one point when they decide he's basically like Chris Cooper's like going kind of like really panicking like right when like Bourne's like going to Paris because mm-hmm. he's really panicking because again he's like mostly again like he's like trying to like we need to like nip this in the bud or this is the end of us all mm-hmm. so he basically is like activate them all. And basically, mm. like, whoever's closest to Paris, like, will get there. But, like, activate all the agents in Europe. So we see, like, three agents. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, basically, like, the other two, I think we'll get, like, there's one in the apartments, which, which I do want to talk about. And then there's Clive Owen mm-hmm. in the field. And eventually, we see the third one coming to Paris, too. And then you th- you're thinking, like, oh, like, he's going, you know, it's going to be the last action beat with Matt Damon. Right. And he was activated as, like, a backup plan if, like, they couldn't get, you know, Jason Bourne. But then it's eventually revealed that it's like Cox, uh, Cox's character, um, who uh, 
um, ordered this this agent to kill uh, Chris Cooper, and basically like that's like the last remnants of you know right. the Treadstone, and it's like shut down. After so that. the fact that this movie kind of ends with like, all right, now they're disbanding the Treadstone project. Yeah, I don't know. I would be kind of. On the side of, like, I don't know if we're given enough context for all of these pieces to hit as well as they want to. Like, I'm fine with Clive Owen giving, like, a very vague, like, exposition dump of, like, what's going on. And I get that there is, uh, there's something to that vague, like, oh, leave something for the audience to imagine. I, I think that that's true. But... Also, like, you still don't have, it kind of bit me in the butt a little bit, too, because you don't have enough of a grasp of, like, what is really, like, making these guys super spies, if they're super spies at all, and then if it's going to get shut down, like, what are, like, what are the, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, because it's like, we only see these, like, three agents, and two of them are killed, mm -hmm. and the one, like, Com- successfully completes his mission, but then you're like, yeah, if it's all shut down, like, what about are all? Do you, do you have to like deprogram all these other people? Do yeah, you just, it, do you just like leave them there because like they're never going to get activated. Like, that's like that is a kind of a big question, and I think it really does come from. I think it comes from two things, honestly. When you think about it, I think it comes from, like, Doug Liman as a director mm-hmm. being interested in just this one, mm-hmm. as, as it seems to be, um, and like, and and also him not just being interested in the born identity as like a project but being interested more in the born aspect of it like right, being interested right. in characters and jason born which definitely gets the focus of him the other thing is like i also think that and, and it's not to say that it really is like i think also the not confidence in the movie from universal i don't think pushed on that point where like there was no view of this as like something to go down the road or something. sure 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 so it was kind of like Lime is making the movie that he wants to make and Universal is more focused on the action parts of things that like you know there's really no they don't see any potential in keeping it alive or they don't see any you know any issues with like oh well just you know it's just a movie so just end it you mm-hmm. know it's like there's really like no you know aspect of that right I think like mentally I think it's just the focuses were different yeah I, I just felt like just with this movie itself I, I like the vagueness is fine but I, I, I felt like they dived in it too little and closed the book a little too tight. Yeah. By the end, if that if if mm-hmm. you follow. Yeah. With, with with that, but we do get the super spies, and one of the fight scenes is pretty cool. Uh, the apartment fight. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, which is like the big, I would argue, like the like one of like the big other moments about that really like the that rough and tumble nature to the fight scenes and yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially that they drive to Paris and, and, and Bourne and Marie are getting, you know, opening up where, like, Bourne basically reveals to her that, like, he has no memory of who he is. And, and like, there's all these questions he has about himself. Like, we talked about the, the, the scene in the diner where he's like, I can tell you, like, oh, where all the exits are. I know this, this woman likes – this man likes his coffee this way and this woman does this. So, he like, he has all this, like, mental thing and she's – you know, basically kind of going along for the ride because she's getting the money and she really doesn't have anywhere to go. And I, she's kind of being charmed by just, again, kind of the the, the naturalness. Yeah, of they this. do a good enough job of, like, showing, like, oh, they're naturally attracted to each other. Right, and, so they eventually yeah. make it to this apartment and, you know, it's, like, um, figuring out that, uh, you know, it's kind of, like, very much a very simple basic apartment. And he's like, did I live here? Like, I don't know. He 
you know, has this other clue to a hotel. So like, she's like kind of going to the bathroom, freshening up. He's like calling this hotel being like, Oh, like, uh, do you have a record of a Jason Bourne staying there? No, we don't. Oh, actually, do you have like a John Michael Kane? And they're like, Oh, Michael, John Michael Kane died two weeks ago. And so it's like, I get all this stuff where it's like, I think I'm also this person, but like, I don't know. Mm. Eventually he kind of gets suspicious of something like, again, super spy, like hears like a noise in the distance or something. Eventually one of the other spies that got activated, you know, launches himself through the window Which and they scared get, you. I, I noticed. Yes. Yeah. You jumped yeah. at that. It was nice. It was nicely, you, you know, fool. they did the whole tent. It was like, they did the classic, like they did the tension thing. Like you think it's going to happen and then nothing happens. And then it's like kind of all normal, but then he's still like, kind of like, what's wrong? Like mm-hmm. he's approaching the thing and then boom, just like it, it, it was, I mean, it was well directed. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of got me. I was like waiting for it, but it didn't work because it, it did kind of jump me. But mm-hmm. there's, there's, they fight through the apartment and this is where, yeah, we get the big, like he uses the pen to like stab his hand. But this is also like, again, where the big, like, you know, she, you know, where it's Marie really sees like, oh shit, like this is actually like realer than real. Right. Like, right. Like, he actually can fight and like they eventually, he eventually like tries to get information from the guy. Yeah. But you know. Oh, well, because she was in that, like, she thought she was going to smash. Yeah. It, 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 like, that, that's what she thought was happening. Right. Which, you know, I joke about that, but that was actually kind of one of those charming little nuances. Like, like if you look at it from her perspective, this is just, like, kind of, like, you know, nice guy, you know, likes to let her talk. Mm-hmm. And they get to the place. So as far as she's concerned, it's right, just it's like, like, oh, this is just some normal guy. It's like, oh, maybe right, and, and I like, can come up and like, yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's also like this situation of just like, you know, is he fucking with me with the with the mental stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, there's like he's very convincing in it, but also like, you know, yeah. Um, like, she thought she was gonna get laid when right. she went up there. Let, let's be real. Mm-hmm. And and I was actually kind of glad that it kind of like ended up being like that seemed to be the case because I was worried that maybe the whole drifter like couch surfing thing was maybe like oh she's gonna try to like manipulate like this clearly rich guy to her advantage but it kind of just seemed like she was into him yeah she was just so I, I i like that element of the movie but the fight like the, the the apartment fight's like fun yeah then, it's solid it, 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 and then it, of course the the classic moment where like he tries to get information out of the guy like she's in shock and then he's like i'll handle this and she like she starts kicking him and then he goes back and then he decides the 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 spy who attacked Jason Bourne decides to jump out the window. Right. You think, like, in my head, I, for some reason, I was like, oh, he's going to have, like, a cyanide pill or something. No, he just gets up and jumps, like, really runs through the balcony door and yeah, then just, and just flips, flips, off. flips off the window. And then it's like. And then, and then she has the line, it's like, why would he jump out a window? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that like, was pretty I, great. I, I, it's like, you know, and then, like, again, she goes in the shock. She, he leaves him downstairs, like, and then. We're we're dealing with like Bourne basically being like you can get out of here you can go to the police you can tell them that like you know mm-hmm. I I captured you or something like that and then you know and she's basically like decides to just go along for the ride mm-hmm. at this point that she's kind of like committed. Meanwhile, again, what I also like I do like that is just whenever we cut back to Treadstone and and Chris Cooper, they're basically like realizing like things are just getting worse all the time. Like now, like this whole not only did this whole like attack on Jason Bourne fail, but now they have like much more of a mess to clean up because mm-hmm. like there's the there's the dead landlady in the in the apartment and now everybody saw this 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 guy jump out a window and and like Julia Stiles is like she's her character she's basically kind of like 
like the almost the director of like communications in that area. Where she's, which, by the way, if anybody lucked out being in these movies, it's Julia Stiles. Like she got a paycheck that will last a couple movies because that was another thing. I that was another big thing I knew about the Bourne series is that Julia Stiles is in four out of five of them. Yeah, and then you watch this movie and you're like, that's it. That's all she's in this movie. Man, she lucked out that they brought her back. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so but that, basically that like funny. she's the director of communications and she's kind of like, basically like kind of like the eyes for Treadstone, like in Paris. Right. Right. And so she's like, like she's like, you need to clean this up. Like, I don't have like the manpower. I'm a small operation here. Like, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Like, this is your mess essentially. So basically we're getting to, um, you know, born still trying to figure out yeah. more stuff. I, I I only have comments on the end. I'm just to right, just, kind of let you know. I I don't really have I mean, anything like, to say about the, the only thing I'll say is movie. like it's funny because like the the especially for the time period, like the the Paris car chase was like one thing that was talked about all oh, the time. And, yawn and yawn. My my thought about like I was watching that scene and I could only think of Mission Impossible Fallout, which was like just like yeah, which is just a much more like like. Again, similarly, like, kind of, like, the on-the-ground, but still bigger mm-hmm. and more entertaining. Yeah. Like, it was, like, if there's one thing that definitely hasn't aged well, it's, like, that specific type of car chase has been done oh, way yeah. better. The, the early, mid-2000s, like, car chase. Right. That was it, the most dated element of the movie. Definitely speaking. I just wanted to mention that yeah. real quick. But then, that's you know, like, I also, I also, I'm always curious when actresses have to cut hair on camera. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's always fascinating to me, because I'm, like... There was a whole I uh, that that showed up in my feed. There was a whole article about how they did that scene, and I don't. It's the algorithm, dude. Yeah, I guess. Um, they knew. Uh, but it's like that's all because she, um, Marie, like born, and it's also like it's not even like, it's like Matt Damon cutting her hair. So it's like, is it like hair pieces or is it like her real hair that like he's like basically like cutting parts of and then they fix up later? I'm always fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. But eventually we do get to the ending, so. There's like other, there's other. Here's here's one thing I will say. I I the I I thought for what it was the 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 farm scene was a nice respite from everything going on. It, yeah. it was a nice kind of like reset moment. It's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. I you know I right, I, I yeah, just no, don't really I have anything else. I honestly think it's like for all the fight that you know. I think it's a scene the movie needed. Yeah. Um. I, I just because I think that it does kind of lead into a little bit more of like the character of Bourne in, in some ways. And I right. think like if you had just gone from like the action stuff in Paris to like more actiony stuff or more of the thriller stuff. I will stuff. say the one thing it does plant as we head into the ending is why in retrospect, the children of, of that, of the, the two in that farm yeah. was such like, kind of like a, a trigger for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads into kind right, of like, the like, revelations. The, the farm the is just like, it's one of Marie's like former lovers or something like that. And it's like, Iman is the guy's name and he has like two kids. Mm-hmm. And then it born's very protective of the kids. Like that basically like when he knows like they're coming for him and Clive Owens there, um, which by the way, I would say Clive Owens said that he loved working on this movie because he, he got paid to show up, wear glasses, mm-hmm. and like run around for a day. Yeah, like, that was basically like his thing. Is like it was a great. It's time. almost like kind of like a shame. Like you, like Clive Owen actually could have just been like 
like a villain spy throughout the whole movie. Right. Yeah. Like it, I, I actually thought like that that was a missed opportunity of mm-hmm. just like having him out there. But right. you know. But 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 basically, yeah, the children are a big point of contention for mm-hmm. um for Bourne, and he make he wants to make sure they are protected more right. than anything else. So that kind of leads into the end of the movie where he he, he kind of does the big like it's way too dangerous at this point, Marie, you have to go your way. Right. And I'm going to go my way. And then he like basically tricks and corners, uh, Chris Cooper and Julia Stiles in one of the safe houses. Right. So he, because he basically like Clive Owen, he gets like all the stuff from Clive Owen like, right. in the phone. So he basically, he had like the other thing about this is like the old, the, the movie that dates it to 2002 or 2000s is like the old school redial where you just actually hit the, the, the oh, pound yeah. king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like now it's like like you would have the phone and you'd have to like unlock it and stuff, like find a way to unlock it and see like go through the contacts. Right, stuff. right. Like literally he just pr- like multiple times for the movie he just presses redial and just be like tries to figure out who it is on the right. other side. Um, but he basically like uses the phone and, set, and basically sets the terms where it's like, you know um, – You'll meet me here. You'll meet me here. And then eventually, yeah, it, it gets them into the safe house that Julia Stiles has been in throughout the whole movie. Like, Chris Cooper has he, – he brings Chris Cooper from D.C. to Paris and basically, like, calls him out. And, like, you know, it's kind of, like, almost like he he basically sets up these specific terms so we can find out who it is but also has no intention of actually meeting the guy. He's basically, like, you know, using what tech he has to, like, track them mm-hmm. to the safe house location. Yeah. And that that's also what kind of, like, made – I don't know. It, it made Treadstone very confusing. Like, I couldn't tell. Like, I get that it was a small enough operation where, like, you know, it was a nice difference from, like, okay, secret corner of the CIA looks like something out of a sci-fi movie. So that was kind of nice. But it was almost, like, it was almost too rinky-dink yeah. at times. And I don't even think that's bad. It's just kind of, like, this confused identity of, like, what right. it, it, it we're does dealing seem that with. It's like they've been kind of – it really does seem that it's, like, the type of operation that, like, this is really the first time anything's gone wrong for them. And right, they like, right. they don't know. Which actually would have been, like, a pretty interesting thing to play where it's, like, this operation – that like is basically always like kind of controversial to the people that know about it. And maybe that's true. I give it would have been more played to the fact is like, they know that like they've basically had the only reason they were still around is that they essentially had a perfect record on this stuff. And it's like, there really hasn't been reason to shut them down, but this is like, could bring it all together. Yeah. I should say as a counter to my point, they do establish that Brian Cox's character kind of from the get go, like treats it as more of like a, like, listen, like, you need a per like if if this doesn't go perfectly like right. like you know w- you're you're under you're under our surveillance like so well, this goes perfectly. And, uh, one thing I should mention too is that the back be- we go back to the beginning of the movie about the assassination uh the attempted assassination of this like African warlord that's like uh, dictator like when they're in the room it's like there's this moment where like the guy talking about it, like you know it's like we don't really we you know none of us really we never really put anything out here and i don't think any of us would be dumb enough to like just do it on its own and mm-hmm. then you just see cox immediately like oh well, shit cu- it, it, the next shot is him like walking out down the hallway and i think which, i think I, there I is a thing a of funny... like it is almost like cooper's character is basically like so confident in his in his abilities that he right. just kind of went we went above everybody else and now he's like kind of paying but them. see but that's what i mean like is treadstone like this super big bad secret to be kept or is that you know or are they actually as they are 
you know, maybe I'm just thinking too hard about it. Like, because then I'm thinking, like, wait, are these, like, super spies that they mess with their mind? And, like, right. like how far does this go? And and to be fair, maybe I'm just getting ahead of myself. I'm Maybe I'm thinking too hard. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. We're in the safe house now, and then basically it's the, it's the confrontation between Damon, uh, Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. and uh, Chris Cooper's, like, head of Treadstone character. And this is basically where... Yeah, it's like the line is like, "Who am I? You're you're a thirty million dollar U.S. like property, like mm-hmm. U.S. government property. You're a goddamn failure, you mm-hmm. know that sort of thing." And he's like, "Tear it into him." And because- again, him thinking that he's a rogue agent and, and he doesn't even buy the amnesia thing, right? And, and it's like that sort of thing where it's like realizing, like you know, kind of there's a realization, like, "Oh shit!" Like maybe there is like an amnesia thing, and that then Damon eventually like the argument of like what you know you know he's basically like you were supposed to assassinate like you were supposed to he was supposed to kill mr echo yes yeah um and and so now that's that's the reveal of the movie right like the reveal is that sorry go ahead yeah because the whole thing was like obviously like yeah the the warlord does eventually get assassinated but in a more public light um and like the whole thing about chris cooper's like you were supposed to make it look like you know, we're supposed to assassinate this guy. We're supposed to make it look like it was a his part, like a part of his own entourage was doing it, so that nobody would suspect us. You picked the location. You picked this yacht. You you picked the time. You picked the day. You you set this up, and mm. you're the one that failed. And then the memory comes up that indeed, Damon. I think that that's actually in thinking about it back. That actually does kind of paint the entire movie in a cool way. It's a lot of like big kind of like pieces being put together all at once at the same time and then like you put the flashbacks in there right. so maybe that's why it was kind of like information overload like mm-hmm. very suddenly right but basically the what we see is now damon remembers the moment where it's like yes he was on this boat he was about to kill the dude like the the warlord straight in the head um and essentially basically be like yeah this since it was on the boat the only person that could have done it was someone in his own crew mm-hmm. And then within the room that he's killed is, is all the guy's kids. Mm-hmm. And basically at that's the moment where Jason Bourne or, you know, whatever is whatever he ends up being, his real name, but, you know, he kind of is going by Bourne. But it's, that's when Bourne basically second guesses himself mm-hmm. and essentially is like, I shouldn't be doing this. Right. Like, and then he like and then then he gets caught. He, he gets caught. He gets shot in the back. Uh, a couple times and, that, and then that's kind of what leads to him it where we find him at the beginning of the movie stranded in the middle of the ocean with amnesia and and, and that's kind of so yeah so now all all the pieces fit together mm-hmm. and um so and he and so he's out he, he basically he, like damon now he says like i res- i basically like i resign you follow me it's going to be problems for you i am done with this i'm done with this life right and yeah, and then that leads to what makes sense as being our reshot additional action scene. Right, so then it's like, because again, that was essentially like a, a, a slightly different version of that was going to be the the last beat, mm. like the last real beat of the movie, um, where now the, the reshoots from uh, 2001 add like basically like kind of like he has to, you know, now that, you know, they find like, he, he Cooper had like a mic on him, right? Um, right. Uh, so now all the other agents know, even from Damon's uh, distraction earlier, that they know that he's in the building. So they all basically descend upon the safe house and try to kill him. I'm not convinced that this was enough. Uh, yeah. I I mean, like it was just kind of, like I I almost thought like he's going to get out of that building, 
and there is going to be like another beat. minor yeah. action beat or 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 something right. because and 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 maybe this speaks to where the franchise has gone in other movies of its ilk because he kind of tussles with a guy at the door uh one other guy coming up he shoots him one of his guns is upside down and then obviously the big set PC thing that happens is that he flies a body down yeah too and again it could just be maybe I'm desensitized by how these movies usually end because it was kind of like elaborate for the movie that it was, but also not like, I don't know. Like right. I, I didn't feel yeah, like it, it was like enough. You probably could have had like one more bigger moment at the end. Right. I, I don't disagree with like, that. I guess Especially I'm, just, I'm again, just used to like, the raid style, like, he has to fight everybody going down. Yeah, especially because you do get, like, the potential lead-up of, like, the last assassin coming, and then, like, obviously the twist is, like, he's there to kill Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you, you could have been thinking, oh, well, that last assassin guy is going to come, and that's, like, the real last big boss fight. Like, mm-hmm. he has this one last fight in, like, the streets and stuff y- like You know that. what? I This is what I will say. I will say, because I don't want to make it like, oh, it's not like bigger like other movies. But what I will say is like, I do think that there was maybe a missed opportunity because at this point, you know who he is. And I felt like this scene was missing the final satisfactory moment of maybe him doing something re- like really showcasing what you can do as Jason Bourne. Right. And, it's, and I think that's a valid criticism from the point of view that this was supposed to be its own movie. Like yeah. there was no other things like, so by the end of this movie, like he kind of, he does some cool things, but other than that, that last bit of the movie, I, I there was nothing that struck out to me as like, f- like phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing like, this is what makes him like the best of the best. And yeah. there were other things in the movie that kind of hinted at that, but for the final moments of the movie, you feel like you could have had a yeah. little more. And then yeah. also to think that that mo- that wasn't there at at a certain point, right? Yeah, I I think it's fair. I mean, mm. like it's one of those things. Like again, like I don't know. I just didn't have like a major issue with it, but I also wouldn't disagree that like maybe something more could have happened. It's like again, it's just like it was good. I mean, it was it, cool when he flew that body yeah. down. It like, was like good for what it was, you mm. know. And uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then uh, Chris Cooper gets killed. Yeah, Chris Cooper uh, gets killed. Brian Cox turns out all the lights in that room. Yeah, Walton Goggins <laughs> got like got know, transferred somewhere. Ho- hopefully, like yeah, I, I don't want him out of the job. You didn't, don't want him on the streets. Yeah, I don't know. Like you, you, that's one of those things. Like you got to transfer them, or like you or kill they, them. Right, because you can't like. I mean, that's like a thing where it's like you can't just let that information out there. Right, right, right. So, but then like yeah, so Brian Cox like goes to the Congress, and they're like, oh, like. You know, he kind of hides what Treston is. It was like a training thing, and, you know, it's just like the money-wise just didn't make sense. But we have this other thing that we have, Brack Briar. Meanwhile, like the last beat of the movie is we cut to um, uh, uh, Marie, mm-hmm. and she's selling scooters to people. She has, has the red bag, and it has flowers in it now, and then Jason Bourne comes in, and they're, like, reunited. Yeah. That's where the movie ends, because the change of the movie was that it was supposed to be, like, Bourne – like like basically like you know was trying to like find it still find his way out still like you know traversing the world trying to like keep keep out of line oh so kind of like more of that like ending of like you know like i'm a vagrant now well basically without a home even more specifically it was like it was going to be that he essentially like kind of i forget like it was something like he collapsed or he was like basically dead tired Mm -hmm. from like just like being on the run 
and then like the last beat was like Brian Cox like finds him. He's like, we've always known where you are. Like mm. it's basically like, like come back to the sea. It's essentially an implication like he's never gonna find a way out. Oh, like that's like the thing. Or it's oh, like, that's a way different ending. Yeah, it's like again like a little bit like less happy. So right. they were just like, oh, let's just, it's post nine eleven. Let's right. let's send the audience uh, okay, home. Fair enough. Like with with the with the stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I I, I mean I enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely like. Yeah, it sounds like I'd be hard on the movie, but it, I, I mean, it, it's it was it was fine. It, I enjoyed I, I mean, enjoyed just, watching it. It just it is like I think unlike other things, it's just like it very much is kind of going back to something that does influence everything else, but just kind of thinking about how all those influences kind of change it, even how the influence of its own franchise kind of changes it as as it goes on. Right. Right. Um. Um, but I still think I, I, I definitely dug watching this. Um, I definitely just had a comfortable time. Mm-hmm. Like just like it's a good. Go, that's a good way of putting it. It's a comfortable movie. Yeah, it's a it's very comfortable. It's a yeah. very comfortable watch. Um, it doesn't insist upon itself. <laughs> it does not. But again, it's just like it's really. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. It's just like this is kind of. It is something that is mentioned as an influence, but you just. People, I think, like a general public doesn't really realize like just how much this really shifted the cinema landscape, at least in terms of the action genre, for for quite a few years. Well, one of the things too, definitely, which is it's funny because kind of thinking about the movies is that one of the less desirable aspects that movies picked up is the sh- shaky cam action, right? Which is shaky cam, and now shaky cam action was one of those things where I I distinctly remember it becoming a criticism yeah and a lot of people um attributed it to these movies specifically supremacy which well yeah because that's really because like there's a like because you get a, I, I was going to talk about this a little bit in the aftermath but you get a little bit of it with with how lyman uses like his own handheld like camera action right right um and like and kind of his insistence on like what he like we saying like the intimacy of the director with the camera yeah like it's like and, and it's at times overly edited too yeah. like the some of that fighting and right you know. uh it's very much it's also a distinctly thing is like you know the especially with the action some of the shorter edits mm-hmm. is definitely that distinctly like born thing right. but the shaky cam they doubled down on that with supremacy right and that's really something that um is uh uh it continues to be an influence mm-hmm. in, in many ways um but otherwise, because I, like the idea, which is often debated, is that it like feigns action, right? Like a like enough. It like it, it's kind of like this weird connect. It, it's one of the strangest kind of things picked up because I never hear anybody advocate for it. But yeah. it's in so many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's very right. it's very odd. Right, but it's it's because it's, it's, it's funny because again, it's like once you get to the green grass stuff, like that's where the shaky cam and and that stuff really comes in. Where it's like it's only like a very small part of this movie. One other thing, is just before we get to like aftermath stuff, because we do have a little bit to talk about in the aftermath. Um, this is another scene of like, I I always kind of like this stuff for me personally. This is just tickles me. Is another scene of born being kind of a doofus. Is just the whole thing with the hotel where they're like we have to get the with the, have to get the bill. So it's like you're gonna walk in there and you're gonna like he, he sends. Oh, that was cute. That he, was cute. He, he sends Marie in there and he's like, look, listen, like you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to go to the lobby. You're gonna have to know who everybody is, like where everybody is, like how many exits there are. Like you just have to think like this because I need to know all the information if I'm gonna get there and get that bill. 
and then like he's still on, like he's calling the phone like get the information and Bermuda just walks off he's like what happened like was there someone in there what happened he's like no I just asked for it and he's like oh that was funny what is this kind of like that again his cute. like his spy mind but then like he comes back to like his like kind of doofy self he's like oh okay I guess that worked yeah oh, that was fun um Harrison Ford in this movie. Harrison Ford. I know who he is. Who is he, Will? So at the end of the movie, I don't think they're actually, but like Brian Cox is like talking to like the like a board yeah. or whatever. Like the like a congressional board. Yeah, a, a, a congressional board. But there should be the president and the camera pans, pans around Brian Cox. And it's none other than President um, Jack Ryan. Yes. <laughs> which, is, which again... I will mention is canon <laughs> in the Clancy books. It is canon that he's president, so it works. So yeah, that that uh, that's what I would. He do. would fit in this world. Uh, he would. Yeah. Fit, he would fit in this world as a Jack Ryan president type of president. Yeah, yeah. I think, or you know what, he would be. I mean, this is kind of like stealing the plot of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but maybe he's like an old Treadstone uh, agent. Yeah, that, or like like. like or like someone who like like was like a found like like a old founder or like or like, like, or like I trained you, Jason. Right. Yeah. Or like he w- he was like kind of like there was like a predecessor to Treadstone, like 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 kind of like an eighties predecessor. Yeah. Well, as we know, like Jason Bourne was just the tip of the iceberg. Yes. Like seriously. Okay, come on, we got fifteen minutes to get through this. Okay, so um movie came out eventually, yes, on uh June um 20 uh, sorry not 20 2002 2002 uh it's gonna say 2020 but no it's 2002 no it's, it's the same number it's just a different order um to well reviews uh again on on the whole rotten tomato scale it's gonna mm-hmm. be an 83 percent um but very highly uh enjoyed uh by audiences and critics and the box office numbers were a worldwide total of 214 million worldwide on a 60 million dollar budget. So Universal is very surprisingly happy with the results of the movie. Um, they did not have the confidence that this would be something that audiences would dig, but they definitely saw the worldwide um, gross and, and audiences around the world flocking to the theaters for the movie. And they also knew that they had at least at that time two other books to possibly, you know, be on the back of. Um, so Universal after this immediately starts um, developing a sequel and immediately they're like, we're not asking Lyman back. Absolutely no way. Um, and Lyman is like, like, and he didn't really show interest, but they, they didn't even put the offer on the table for him. They, they were just like, nope, we don't like him. We're wow. doing other stuff. So eventually they get to Paul Greengrass, um, who is most associated with the series because he essentially directs the mm-hmm. rest of the Matt Damon films. So he, um, Paul Greengrass comes in to do the second movie in 2004, which is The Bourne uh, Supremacy, and then the final movie, The Bourne Ultimatum, in 2007. I will note that despite both of those movies sharing the titles of the two other um, Ludland Bourne books, Mm -hmm. they have absolutely no connection to the Bourne books. Mm. Both movies taken a fully 100% original story. Um, Gilroy is still uh, screenwriting. Uh, He specifically screenwrites, co-screenwrites this Bourne supremacy, and he writes the first draft of the ultimatum, though... He's someone who his his draft gets changed a lot, and he essentially he kind of disowns that movie mm. in some ways in terms of him having an influence on it. Um, but the Bourne franchise becomes a really big 
element of Universal's output yeah, at this time. And this was a fairly favorable trilogy. Like yeah, people, all, th- all three films. Like are... you would not think about that now because nobody ever talks about it. But like at the time, like this was like considered and a lot of people for a long time considered it to be in like oh like really fun trilogies of movies and kind of like first one's great second one not so great and the third one's awesome like at least that was kind of like the vibe i got from it um uh but this was basically like universal had a brand new franchise on their on their table now um and it definitely was a big enough hit where even the Robert Ludlum estate decided to start writing more uh, Jason Bourne books. Because remember, that original trilogy was like 80, 86, and 90, and no other Bourne books had come out to that. But in the same year as uh, the Bourne Supremacy came out in 2004, the Robert Ludlum estate um, hired a, a man to release a brand new Jason Bourne book, which was entitled The Bourne Legacy. Um, which, again, has nothing to do with the movie that will come later. But essentially, Bourne books are still being written to this day. In fact... Uh, we timed this out very well because the next Jason Bourne book is coming out in July 2020. Oh, wow. Uh, so we, we, it was uh, just happenstance of that one. That's funny. Uh, so Universal has these two other movies with Damon. They're very much good. And they were initially, of course, planning of just like either taking a significant break or just ending with, with the trilogy. But um, uh, as, as is wont to do in Hollywood an idea comes up to continue. So the idea initially was to do two, uh, to basically develop two films simultaneously, like a new film with the Jason Bourne character and a sort of spinoff movie. Uh, Damon and Damon continues to say this. uh, Damon says he will gladly come back to the Jason Bourne character only if it's a Paul Greengrass directed movie. He, he has said straight up that he will refuse to do a Bourne movie without Paul Greengrass at this point. That basically, like, that's who he wants at the helm of a, of a Bourne movie. Um, so uh, Greengrass wanted to take a break uh, from the Bourne franchise after having those two in, two in a row. So then the, the simultaneous um, development kind of shifts into what would become the Bourne legacy, uh, which was a Tony Gilroy directed and written movie. Um, and his whole thing was like, he, he's like, I will write and direct a movie for you as long as there's no Matt Damon in it. I want to do my own spin on the Bourne mm. universe. Um, so that's the, what becomes the Bourne legacy, which is kind of one of those things where it takes place kind of elements of it simultaneously to supremacy. And then also dealing with the falling out of ultimatum, uh, which stars Jeremy Renner yep. and Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. Which I do want to mention real quick. Yeah, no, you got it. You got to mention this story. Oh, I was going to mention. I, I, go I, ahead. I was go gonna, ahead. Whatever you were going to say. Uh, well, first of all, yeah, the, the trailer. I, I have an award every year, which I'm not. I'm not sure I can give it out this year because movie theaters haven't been open. But there is always a movie where the trailer plays too many times, mm-hmm. or or a preview plays too many times. Where like, like, f- f- it started off with the year the the Born Legacy came out. Where that trailer was in front of every action movie that summer, everything in that in that spring, it was like in front of every movie, and it was just like all the all the lines from it was like, "You think Jason Bourne was the end of this? Jason Bourne was just the tip of the iceberg." And like they just kept mentioning Jason Bourne, even though he clearly wasn't in the movie. Right. There was such an effort to be like, "This is the next evolution of the franchise." Right. And it was just like, but it was just like that trailer played so many times that I could tell you all those lines at that time. Now mm-hmm. I can't remember them. Um, infamously also, I think even before, around that same time or before that was, uh, the infamous Regal Les Mis, mm-hmm. uh, thing. And there was, there was definitely other, 
trailers over and over the years. Right. The thing I was going to mention is just like Jeremy Renner gets a major like role in Mission Impossible. Right. And a major like and like then eventually gets sidelined. Then eventually gets kind of sidelined because of his own like schedule and his own his own like his own work. Mm-hmm. He also is like poised to be like a major factor in the Bourne franchise and then also gets sidelined. Right. Like I was again You got Renner. Yeah. It's just like it's just funny that he had both of those on the table of like you're potentially like the next star of this franchise. Mm-hmm. And just it's just things just happened with Renner. Also, while we're talking about legacies, also has a flowers for Algernon influence on it because that's the movie where you know they find they're giving him like brain juice right yeah because there's like pills right yeah they, like he, he he was like kind of like a little slow and then they or maybe not slow but he was not they give him pills to make him like smart and a super spy yeah none of this is ringing a bell flowers for Algernon <laughs> I no, no come I, on man audience please back me up on this flowers for Algernon uh so born legacy does come out yeah um nobody cares and it really is like nobody cares. not it's like it makes a little money it's not like a flop but it's also not a huge hit to the point where universal decides to try to fast track damon and greengrass back to the franchise because obviously damon said he wants to come back if greengrass comes back so all universal has to do is get greengrass back in there which then becomes jason Bourne. yeah the trend of just making it the name which is disappointing to me I like the kind of like the born something, even if it's never like. A but it, it, it's very telling about I, what they were doing, like right? Because it because it, it was like them basically saying, "Oh, Jason Bourne's in this movie," right? Like it, it was basically putting at the forefront. This movie is about Jason Bourne. Everything so that, about it was like to try to like appeal to people who didn't like Legacy and to like reestablish. I mean, why else would you get same director, actor? Just bring up the name, right. and then of course, my favorite story with the trailer is that well, the trailer kind of like does like a little, some shifty things. But the biggest one is the famous line. Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. Which is not in the movie. They cut it that way for the trailer. He says Jesus Christ, then has one or two lines, and then he says it's Jason Bourne. Or it's the other way around. The bottom line is in the movie, he doesn't say, Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne, which 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 is is the best line in the entire franchise. Right. And it's not in any of the movies. That has become an iconic line in and of itself. Yeah. There's there's that subreddit I talked about, which is just all about that. If Um, If this Inception trailer brought us the brrrm, the other most influential thing, like, uh, soundbite to come out is... Maybe next to the weird sound mixing issue in the Mummy trailer. <laughs> yeah. Where there was no sound and it's just Tom Cruise yelling the whole time. Yeah, like no music or Please whatever. look this up if you haven't seen it. It's so funny. But, yeah, the Jesus Christ is Jason Bourne is one of the best things ever. Yeah. Um, we should... Put it at the end that movie's it. also just kind of fine. Yeah, that movie was... Uh, did actually very well. Oh, okay, uh, cool. It, it did very well. Um... But was it also was it wasn't as highly reviewed as the original trilogy, but was better enjoyed right. than. Um, but some people did. There was actually a complaint that like you could have set up some interesting stuff, like born like dealing with what happens in, in Legacy, but like completely ignoring that movie. Right. Like people felt, and there's always a possibility that comes up again because Damon very said very much so. Again, as long as Greengrass is involved, I'm definitely interested. 
Uh, and Universal definitely still sees it as a major property because um, not only was that movie come out, um, but also their big attraction for this year at Universal Orlando is the brand new Born Stunt Spectacular, which actually opens uh, t- tomorrow from this recording, which was the 30th of it opens on the 30th of June. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that and that is I will say very well reviewed and very much is. Uh, from reviews is very much what people enjoy about the movies in a stunt form, uh, stunt show form. So, well, good for them. Um, but yeah, and again, it's just like this is a movie the the fir- the the first two especially because Casino Royale comes out in two thousand six. So the first two Borns, Born Identity and Born Supremacy, um, are definitely like influential into our canon of Bond, and and definitely helps shape the direction of what Casino Royale alongside kind of these other, like, again, the, the Batman Begins project, which, you know, comes out that same year as Casino Royale, um, and, and other elements of that. Uh, the other stuff that was happening, that kind of the general sort of grittiness of Hollywood coming, or the, the gritty movies coming Correct. to Hollywood. Um, but the Bourne films definitely have an influence on what happened to Bond. So it's that's definitely should, again, bear, men- bear mentioning. All right. And I, I will say... Um, one last thing about the Borns. Um, I definitely would not be opposed to looking at a Greengrass Born down the line just to kind of see the continuation of that franchise. And even just looking at Supremacy as something that also came out before Bond and see if there's any other of that influence in there. Maybe. I think I'm good. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'll watch, watch Supremacy and Ultimatum, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a reason, like, why Jason Bourne, the movie, was just fine. No, I, I said Supremacy. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant like future green grass. Oh no, not like not, not me. No, I meant like on the podcast. Like maybe like as a as a deep dive, we looked at like. Supremacy. Oh no. Oh, I thought you actually meant like you're just interested in general. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, that, that's okay. That, that's what I thought. I'll be you interested meant. in the trailer just to see because the, the born <laughs> the born trailers like legacy. If the next movie would be called Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Then I would. Here's go the see thing: it. like the last two born trailers have been very entertaining. So if they make another Jason Bourne movie, I'm definitely interested in seeing the trailer. <laughs> I was just talking about it as a deep dive, maybe looking at the Bourne supremacy somewhere down the line. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I'm done. You're done. We're done. So just plug, uh, plug I was, it. I was going to plug the next Bond episode, but never mind then. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh. Nick, ne- that's it for the Bourne identity. Where, where are we going next? <laughs> All right, so um, I can 100% confirm now uh, that next month we are going to finish up our uh, Bond actor episodes by taking a deeper look into Roger Moore. Um, this will be a little bit different for us because we are going to be looking at a TV series. We're going to be looking at uh, Roger Moore's most other famous work other than Bond, which is The Saint. Uh I found out that the entire series is on uh, Shout TV's uh, streaming website thing. So we will be looking at that. I do not know exactly how we're going to do it. I do have a couple of ideas, which I will pitch to you at some point off off mic. Uh, But we will be looking at the Saint. We'll be talking about Roger Moore uh, as an actor and as a person. Cool. I don't have any. I don't. I don't have any information. Where we're going you're next? Just, you're just hiding. Yeah, you're just hiding it. Also, I'm I'm also done. Okay. Oh, I'm going to go to bed. Okay. Bonzillapod at gmail dot com, Twitter dot slash bonzilla 7 Facebook dot slash bonzilla 7 Like and subscribe iTunes. 
and also SoundCloud. All right. Uh, until next time, take care, guys. Bye-bye. And I guess watch this movie if you want to. Yeah, yeah. It's on Amazon. Yeah. For rent. Yeah. You or have to buy. Pay. Yeah. But if or you're going to buy, just buy a Blu-ray. Don't, yeah. don't buy anything what are you doing? digitally. What are you doing? Buy the Blu-ray. The grid could go down any minute. Yeah. These are uncertain times. We're in 2020. Yeah. Who knows? Buy, buy your thing. Yeah. Just own it. All right. Bye. Bye.